Max is a conservative libertarian running on the Republicans' ticket for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District seat. He's a red-blooded, blue-collar worker who knows what it's like to be impoverished and what it takes to get back on track. In 2009, Max decided to join the family business, but that business was not what most people would think. Max joined the Marine Corps, making him an 8th generation Marine. Besides the Marines, his family members consist of men and women who have served in the Army, Air Force and Navy. Truly the embodiment of a family of warriors that stood up and served their country every time the United States called. Max decided to run for Congress because of the turmoil over this last year, compounded with President Biden's ineffective and inept leadership. If that wasn't enough, the rampant corruption and overspending in Congress should give every American pause to question our leadership. The trillions of dollars spent in foreign conflicts and the longest war in modern history demand being addressed now. The cramming of socialist policies into every bill to hide the fact that they are robbing us of our taxpayer dollars for things most Americans do not support or even care less for. It needs to stop now or our republic will be no more. It's a great honour for me to welcome Max Beckwith on the show. We've known each other for a few weeks now and had a few conversations. I really respect this guy. He's got an awesome story, really honest heart, and um, a great, great insight into many topics regarding the Constitution, America, and also geopolitics as well. So, without further ado, let's go. Hey, Max, how's it going, buddy? Good, how you doing? Yeah, right, I just drove about 700 kilometers today, but that's lightweight for you guys. 700 kilometers, that's what? Uh, 480 miles, I think. Oh, yeah, that's, that's I drive that in a day. Yeah, it took us like seven hours to get across from uh, Ukraine through Hungary to, to Vienna. I always forget that, geographically speaking, like, you just cross three, three countries, but that's essentially driving from here to South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, and a proper border crossing each of them with both passports and, you know, do you have your correct corona test kind of deal you know oh yeah we ain't got any of that crap yeah we just have to deal unless with you unless you got, let's get on an airplane oh you have that in airplanes over there yeah if you got to board an airplane they want to see like a negative test or some shit now uh, i think I, I think it's stupid i don't i mean i ain't i ain't about that that business what do you pay for that I think it's free for the testing. Legit. There's like 10, 15 bucks at most, if I'm not mistaken. I know the yeah. shot's free. Last time I guess Scotland had to pay about 180 pounds for PCR tests. Oh shit. No, I, we ain't gotta pay any of that crap. Yeah, we ain't even gotta pay that much. If there is anything, it's like very limited. As far as I would although I haven't had a COVID test in months. Because I already had COVID, so I was like, I ain't, why am I going to get a test for something I know I already had? Right. So we had a conversation for about an hour a couple of weeks ago where basically learn about what your, your military background and your aspirations in, I would say, temporary politics. And what I've been doing in LinkedIn a lot is, is kind of really bashing career politicians that are just in the politics game 
doing their thing, getting re-elected, but they've never really had a proper job. And uh, what really impressed me about you is really fresh. Is like you're only doing this because you just feel like you can do something about the situation, and you're just going to go in there, like uh, do your do your thing. If you get elected into the, the Congress, until until the job's done, you know, a bit like Batman. <laughs> I, I guess you could equate it to Batman. I I uh, I hope I don't have to do as much crime fighting as he does. I'm a little out of shape for that. What was it that made you decide to go and run for for Congress? Uh, I was always going to go into politics in some fashion, um, just because my family's been military and civil service for 200 plus years. So, like, I'm an eighth generation Marine. Um, I got family that are FBI agents, cops, paramedics, nurses, Army in the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, all that stuff. So, and I got some that are city councilmen and whatnot. So, it's just, it's kind of in the blood. Um, this for this thing, I was waiting initially, I was going to wait until Rouser, my the, the incumbent, a current congressman, um, left or decided to move up to the Senate. But with the whole Afghanistan debacle, it was kind of more of a, of a, I need to do it now or. I may not have the opportunity in the future because we're heading towards a socialist dystopia at the moment. So, yeah, that's why I decided to run. Because uh, not that Rouser is necessarily a bad guy or anything like that, but I think he's been in long enough. He needs to move up to the Senate or get out and let new blood come in. Very few congressmen or senators right now um, – are ones that have been in this 20 year war on the front lines fighting in some form or fashion. There's a, there's a handful in the Congress and I think you can count on one hand, the number of service members that served in the last 20 years in the Senate. Um, so the rest of them are all career politicians who have been there for 15, 20, 30, 40, hell, even some of them are in, been in there 50, 60 years. So what's the definition of a, a career politician? Is it someone that's never had a real job or just somebody who's just doing going through the motions of being in, in power? Just so a career, a career politician is someone who gets in office and then just continually just keeps getting elected and elected and essentially making a career out of it. Essentially imagine it as if you get a new job at, whatever company and you do that until you retire that is now your new career even though you didn't start off wanting to do that that's what you did that's your career that's kind of the mentality that goes to it um which a lot of people don't like career politicians for uh a number of reasons and that's why here in the united states we're pushing real heavily for uh, term limits for congressmen and senators we already have it for the president but we want to push it for congressmen and senators now too to limit the amount of uh, old guard mentality because the problem we have is we have people who have been in office who try to appeal or be a part of the new culture. But the problem is, is they're just, they're not able to fully grasp it because one, they're of the latter two, three generations behind and two, they're 
morals are not the same as the majority of the people currently because their morals are stuck in the 1950s or 1960s or 1970s, not in the 21st century. A lot of the morals in the 40s and 50s are, to me, appear a lot better than what we have right now, if anything goes. So I would argue that, yes, some moralities are better than they are now. But what I'm talking about is I'm talking about more of like the religious fervor morals. Like, for example, even to, to even today, you still have people who are against gay marriage, which... I mean, you can take a you can take a re- religious or philosophical approach to it, but the argument isn't religious or philosophical. It's constitutional, and that's why we have we have a in the Constitution we have where it's supposed to be separation of church and state. You may be a Catholic, you may be a Protestant, you may be a Muslim, you may be a Hindu, whatever it is. But when you go to serve the Congress or serve the Senate, you're supposed to leave your religion at at your house and vote on policies that are based in constitutionality. Now, does everyone do that? Obviously not. It's very hard for people to to disassociate themselves from something they grew up with their entire life. But that being said, that doesn't mean that you can't look at the constitutionality of something. And even if you don't morally agree with it, you can agree at least that constitutionally it is not illegal. And in fact, should be legal. If, make, if that makes any sense. Is there anything in the Constitution about homosexuality? Nope. There's nothing in the Constitution about marriage at all. Period. What about religion? Uh, freedom of religion. That's it. Right. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is the part of that is the Declaration of Independence. This is literally one of the first, <laughs> first sentences ends with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. God-given right for every American. So, so these um, is it a phrase in the constitution called in, inalienable rights? Yes, inalienable rights, which means they are granted to us by God or by if you don't want to use God, you can omnipotent being. It, it is it is something that every human being is born with these inalienable rights meaning that no law, no government, no person can take those rights away from you. That's what that means. So we have inalienable rights to free speech. Now, you can curtail free speech and like, well, what is free speech? Can you, well, like, for for instance, uh, America is the freest in terms of what you can say. Uh, I know in the vast majority of countries, to include first world countries like Britain, Germany, and France, um, you can't criticize other people for certain things. I think there was a person in, in Britain uh, last year, a couple of years ago, um, was giving a speech at a rally about uh, transgenderism and, and just saying how they trend. Just because you transition to being a quote unquote female doesn't make you a biological female. And they deem that as hate speech in England. And she was arrested. Um we don't have that in America. As long as I don't say something that is intentionally pushing for harm. So, for example, I can't yell fire in a theater if there's not actually a fire. Because people will stampede and run, which causes a situation in which someone could get injured. Um, you can't go and say, 
I'm going to kill you because that is a legal threat. Now, I can say someone's an inept moron. That's perfectly fine. And I'm using that in a very nice language. You can curse, you can swear, and, the, and it's not deemed uh, unconstitutional. As long as you are, you are not defaming or an individual or putting their uh, calling them a liar, libeling and slandering them. That is not protected speech. So those that that's 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 how you define inalienable rights is that it's something that we're guaranteed um, by just the fact that we are born human, and in America we protect these inalienable rights. So I'm wondering, like, um, do you think like a trans like someone coming into the school and teaching you know school children how to become trans and how to go about it do you think that would be something that is uh, not allowed in the constitution because that can cause harm that would, that would be not constitutionally allowed because you're essentially taking the rights of the parents to educate their children about a controversial topic or issue away from them you're so one of the things we have for the issue with in America and just like in most other places in the world, especially in Europe, is you have this progressive liberal globalist mentality in the education system. Um, and the issue with this is, is that they want to and they do. They've been doing it for years, putting through uh, their political ideologue and beliefs into the educational process, which that shouldn't be a good professor. I had a professor that I found out later in life was a Democrat, but he was one of my favorite professors because and this is a political theory class. So this was like a legitimate political class. And I, it, it, during that class, I could not tell you which way he stood on the spectrum. That's what, oh, that's amazing. what a good, that's what a good teacher should do. So he wasn't putting any of his own opinion. No. Um, and this, and keep in mind, this is a, this is a political theory class. This is a class in which you literally discuss political theories and the controversies, and you take sides. And so there is a lot of opportunity for him to play one side more so than the other. He never did. Jeez, that's that's really rare. It's very rare, but that's what education's supposed to be. You not you shouldn't know what you're. And like I said, I could even see in a political class if someone says, "Hey, I'm." A conservative or hey i'm a democrat or a liberal but i'm going to give you a fair shake and i'll and it, like i can even see you addressing it up front and then that way at least your bias is semi-known and as long as you grade properly then it's not an issue but for example biology where do, why does politics have to come up in biology so as i was saying the uh the issue we have right now is that i posted on my facebook was a uh was a post about uh the school be school school board school board meeting can't speak um which parents were reading from the crt literature being taught in school and literally it was um it was essentially child pornography essentially being taught to these i think they're like 11 12 year olds it was like it was i'm not gonna go into it. it's really disturbing stuff but essentially what it turned out was was that the uh, parents did their spiel and whatnot, and then the mayor came up and pretty much told the school board, if 
I, I've already talked to the uh, to the uh, lawyer, to the town lawyer, uh, and uh, if you do, if if every single one of you don't have your resignations in to me by tomorrow, you all will be going to jail. And because it was, they're literally grooming young children with through CRT. So this Wait, is so you. You you said that to them? No, no. This is a, this is a video in which. I, uh, this is a video that I posted on Facebook. It was a Texas school board meeting, I think, um, in which the mayor came on after all the parents had said, and the, the mayor of that, of that, uh, town told the board members of the school, they're like, if you don't, you don't resign, I'm going to be sending y'all to jail because they were essentially grooming children to be sexualized. Speechless, mate. I, I, I like. I, I, I what about the, the individual teachers behind that were doing it as well? Are they getting sacked? Oh yeah, they're probably going to go to jail. But it's but this is the problem is that this was all buried in un, underneath the guise of critical race theory being taught in the schools. So th this is material that was inside CRT. Yep. From like, what I understand, that's that what was it was camouflage essentially. Have you heard of like secret material where the parents are not allowed to, like the kids are not allowed to bring the stuff home? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, this is one of those things. The parents, the, the kids were told they weren't allowed to bring this home, and one of the kids, I guess, a couple of kids took it home, showed their parents, and that's how this came out. But this had been getting taught in the school for like three, four years prior to this coming out. So it's just like a textbook or something. It was. Uh, I don't know if it was a textbook or like a like a pamphlet or like just a a teacher criteria book in which they like give sheets of paper and say, here's an assignment, do this and I'll grade it kind of thing. I, I can't, I don't know exactly. Um, video wasn't too specific on that, but it just goes to show that this is, this is a, why you need to remove politics from education because you get people who don't have the best interest of everyone else at heart. And they'll put their ideologue over the good of the people. And I mean, you can look at history and see that happen. Nazi Germany, Italy, China, Vietnam, Cambodia. I mean, goes on and on throughout history. People put their ideological beliefs ahead of the good of the people. So this um, CRT pedophilia, uh, can they trace the original authors from this material and the, the publishing company and like, Oh yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. So what's been done about it? Uh, I haven't followed up on it. I literally, it was just a video that I saw I think last week. Let's see if I can, uh, let's see if I can pretty sure I, pretty sure it's on my Facebook. Uh... I posted this video up on, uh, on LinkedIn that, I'll have some friends on Telegram. There we go. Yeah. Uh, students given sexually explicit lesson plans may or threatens to charge entire school board for child pornography if they don't resign. It, Ohio mayor, that's what it was. It was in Ohio. Um, let me see. Like, why? Why isn't the, the publishing company being? That, that should be. That should be fined um, huge amounts of money, if not dissolved. In Ohio. 
An Ohio mayor received wild applause from parents after he threatened to charge members of a local school board with child pornography over a controversial lesson plan in which students were introduced to write about highly sexualized subject topics. So, yeah, maybe this wasn't part of CRT. I'm trying to see. I, I think yeah, I thought, thought it was, but it could be wrong. It could have just been its own entity entirely, which still that in <coughs> itself is frightening. Um, I'm trying to. Yeah, it's on my Facebook. It's a. Uh, uh, I'll send it to you. It's it was it, it's rewrite the sex scene from above into one that you'd let your mom read. Describe your favorite part of a man's body using only verbs. Describe a time when you wanted to orgasm but couldn't. That's just a sample of questions they were asking students to write about. And how and these kids were how old were they? Uh, I think they were like 11, 12. Heavy stuff, man. That's uh disgusting yeah I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember my education at school what they talked about but uh well, well we didn't talk about this i'll tell you that right now <laughs> even a sex ed we didn't talk about this yeah i think at school we were basically showing a, a video the cartoon video and we were like age I don't know, 13 or 14 but it was like yeah. i was like normal or natural and there was nothing like right you right about your you know, episodes and stuff. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So that's just one of the many, many reasons why politics need to stay out of education and why people need to take more of a constitutional viewpoint on things and not necessarily an ideologue one. So we, we talked to, um, I talked to your dad I think three weeks ago on the podcast. Do you do you talk much about politics with your dad? Do you have much in common oh, with yeah. your dad as well? Oh yeah. We, we we talk about politics quite often. He's interesting because he takes politics from a cause he because he's a historian, so he can derive from history. And he's I I swear the guy's got an identic memory just because he just remembers details. I mean, I remember details pretty well, but he can remember obscure dates names of as he's just he's he's a very diverse individual when it comes to his education he must be a great resource to have on 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 hand oh yeah if i i definitely uh leaned on him when i had to like i I, especially since uh even though his background is history specifically like medieval history dark ages world war ii especially it's waffle and ss definitely a lot of military history stuff but uh he wrote the revision essentially modernizing uh for easier consumption for people to understand geneva convention of 1949 of 1909 so that's his uh, occupations insurgency book if i'm not mistaken it essentially was a legal book in which it broke down Geneva and Hague into legal understanding. Um, but I, I'd call, I, I'd hit him up and be like, Hey, I'm doing this paper for whatever it is. What's the, I need to, I need to do you have a, a precedence or, or a source I could sort, or I could uh, use uh, that uh, give me the information for precedence for this case law kind of thing. Da, da, da. And he'd like send me like three different 
cites the <laughs> citations for and and what they what are what they're for when I'd been I'd be able to read them and everything like that and be able to pull from it. So yeah, but he'd find stuff from like Cambridge archives of 1493 or something like that. Like just obscure places. I would never even think to look. Does he like do his work sitting at a computer or does he like go to libraries and like get all old manuscripts? And- uh, so the majority of his books, when he was doing his graduate studies in Glasgow, he did travel quite a bit, quite extensively. He'd get, he'd do it because he would, get paid to go travel to do these research for his books and, and everything like that. And then those books get published by the university and everything like that. So, um, so yeah, no, but he traveled. I mean, he was, I think he went to, he went to uh, Istanbul because one of the Alexander libraries is there. I think it's one of the best libraries kept in the world. I think he went through the archives there. to do. Um I know he's been up and down Africa, Cairo, Egypt. I know he's been throughout Europe, going to different different libraries and everything like that. So, yeah, and he just has a great memory for remembering shit that he reads. Is, is, is it still kind of a similar process where people have to actually physically go to places or a lot of these libraries now digitized where people can just sell. Uh, some are digitized, but a lot of the stuff that he did for like his uh for like his forward bore book, and I think for his uh, grad school paper or book uh, that he published, uh, a lot of those uh, aren't even, are still today aren't even digitized. You had to you'd have to go into the hard archives and and pull those some of those sources. Well, so you're, you're, you're basically the only way people can get access to it physically going there is to read through your, your dad's um, writing. Well, yeah, because he, 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 he footnotes and gives a bibliography on everything that he ever cites. So, I mean, it's he, it'd be, it's much easier if you if you read his book and you say, oh, that's interesting, I want to read that, and you go to it, and then you can might be able to pull it up, but it may be something you actually have to go to the location and pull and make a copy of. buy a ticket to go to Istanbul so I can check, fact check what he's wrote. Well, that's heavy duty. That's that's dedication. If you were one of the yep. convinced, then again, so you, yep. could, you may have to cross-reference that original source with another source, some other library, so you could potentially have quite yep. a lot of airplane tickets, or just go into the libraries with like a camera and like take pictures of everything. Oh, and the and the and the thing is, is like a lot of people don't realize, like, um, uh, so he'd he would go and but he had to like he can read and write um because a lot of those older especially european documents are written in latin and german because those are the two prominent languages uh for the vast majority of european history since the written language um but he'd have to go and use his german and his latin understanding and background to decipher and interpret uh, uh anglo-saxon frankish uh doc- doctrines from the documents from the from the 1300s 1400s so i mean the dude speaks like five languages and can read like <laughs> four or five more as well like the latin read being able to read latin though that's what probably helped him out the best did you, did, you hear, did you hear that some European Union politician or, or like said that they would like to to use Latin again as in the formal documents of the 
the courts or something instead of using English? Um, I mean, <laughs> that's that's if they want to do that. I mean, have at it. I mean, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to think about it. You have <laughs> all these countries, and you basically made the main language of the of the court or whatever institution it was is, is English. And the country England isn't even in the European Union. It was like imagine we were using, say, Hungarian in English English courts right now, but but, but Hungarian, Hungarian, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, like even even Italian, Italian is the closest to true Latin, but even then, Italian is not Latin. Now they much closer and much much easier to read it. I think actually the closest to Latin is Portuguese, if I'm not mistaken. It's the closest to Latin roots, from from not mistaken. I could be wrong on that. Um. It just, it just seems so ridiculous that you have this whole big European Union. And, and they started the, the whole uh, State of the Union address in copying America. In the first 15 minutes, they were in English, you know? <laughs> oh, dear. I, I'm so really annoyed with the European Union in terms of all these green passports they're pushing in Austria, making people, you know, go to restaurants without, you know, have to have this, their papers, you know? Uh, I'm not a. I am not a fan of the EU at all. Uh, never have. Never will. Why is that? Um, I mean, think about it. why do you think Britain left? It's because British citizens are being displaced in the workforce because you could have someone from Hungary who wanted to, or France or wherever, uh, get citizenship in one of those countries. Now they have they have free access to any EU nation, and then they go to England, and then they take cheap they take jobs at a cheaper wage. I mean, it's it's essentially essentially what the EU does is you've essentially created how many how many countries are in the EU right now? There's what twenty odd something. Twenty odd something. That's I was, I was gonna say like twenty between twenty between twenty and thirty. I would say yeah. So essentially, you've eliminated all personal identity and boundaries and sovereignty of of those places. You no longer have sovereign individual nations. So for example, I mean, I I married the for example, for example, pre-COVID, if you're an EU member. You could walk across the border into any other country as long as you had an EU card saying that you're an EU card holding member and you could not be denied access. Yeah. Which is wrong. They, the entire legitimacy of a country is its ability to protect its sovereignty. You've essentially given up your sovereignty at that point. If you can't protect your borders, then you're not a sovereign state. Well, I, I guess because I'm a, I'm 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 a British citizen that uh, we always kind of had that border anyway because I had the water. Well, yeah, you guys were lucky. You got you're, you're you're an island. I mean, you guys are lucky, but I'm saying for yeah. every other place. I mean, but yeah, pre, pre-COVID, when you're driving across, you know, I've done thousands and thousands of miles across Europe. Yeah, but you basically you're in a country, and uh, what's interesting is if you, if you drive between hungary and uh, slovakia you'll drive through the, the the old border crossing it's quite interesting that the countries i used to ask my friends who were driving across the border but in the european union why do they still have the buildings there and my friends like yeah you never know what's going to happen in the future there could be like a war or something but now now these buildings are, are kind of like the the, the 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 country still keeps them you know it's like 
it's like certain parts of Ukraine, they have um, roads that were made for the tanks. Um, they're basically yeah. large pieces of stone and um, they don't dig them up <laughs> for and replace them because you never know what's going to happen in the future. You've got, you basically got these roads that are great for tanks and great for defense. I thought that was time. So, you know, one of my favorite countries in Europe is. Don't know, Serbia? Austria. Austria. Why? Well, that's what Austria, I am. Austria doesn't give a crap about anybody else's feelings. <laughs> like, nope, we're Austrian. We're Austrian proud. We're going to protect our Austrian citizens and F everybody else. We don't care about your feelings. That's true. That's I sometimes butt up against that a little bit because, uh, like when they were like yeah. when they were trying to take in all those uh, refugees and everything like that back in uh, what like five, four or five years ago, and Austria was like, "Nope, we ain't taking any. Nope, you can go f yourself. Nope, it ain't happening." Well, Hungary's like that as well, right? So yeah, Hungary's like that. Hungary as well. Hungary's like that too. And I think didn't Hungary uh, and Austria? They, Hungary and Austria. Then they, I think. I know Hungary, they built a giant wall to protect their nation from mass migration of potential insurgents. And uh and they, they didn't care. They got they got the EU was like, oh, that's inhumane. And Hungary's like, and not Maybe inhumane. As far as America, you know a lot about Europe. Yeah, I mean, I you gotta know the world. You can't. You can't you can't argue uh, with an opponent if you don't know the, what their what their culture is like. That's one reason why we failed in Afghanistan is because we tried to implement democratic Republican policies, American standards of living into a tribal warring culture. It doesn't work. We would yeah, have been we would, failure of the century we, almost. Well, we would have been better off if we went in, did our business, and then we let King Abdullah of Jordan come in and set up their parliamentary system because King Abdullah is a Hashemite kingdom. He, Shia or Sunni, they would have respected him, and he is a constitutional monarch who is a sitting monarch who has the power of the executive, but he has a constitutional parliamentary. Now, he could override them, but he lets them essentially handle their business, but they're, they're a tribal nation. But they run just fine. The difference is, is because he's a Hashemite kingdom, which is different than oh, most other Arab countries besides uh, uh, Morocco. Is a Hashemite kingdom as well. What's a Hashemite kingdom? So a Hashemite kingdom means that the that the king can directly trace through documentation and paper to be a direct descendant of the Prophet Muhammad. Sheesh. That is a that's, Hashemite. That's, that's the, Saudis, the Saudis try to claim it, but they don't have any records to back that up. King Abdullah of Jordan and I can't remember the King of Morocco, but King of Morocco both are the only two Hashemite kingdoms, which is funny that they're the only two Hashemite kingdoms and they're also the two most pro-American uh, Muslim nations in the world. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, Abdullah is half American. His sons are, and his children are like two thirds or uh, three fourths American because his wife's American. So um, that's why for that one reason. But Abdullah is extremely well educated. Um, he, uh, I think, it was Oxford, uh, and then he was he was, he was a pilot. He's the one who led when they found out that the Taliban had uh, taken. Al Qaeda had taken uh, one of his 
member one of his pilots and burned him in a cage. He's the one who he led the 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 air barrage that went and took out that facility. Got up in his flight suit, led led the led. He was the first king, and I think over two hundred years to lead his men in combat. Even though it was an air, it was a it was a air campaign, but still. Um, then he got once they did their bombing run, he uh, went back. Didn't even change out of his flight suit and went to the parents of the of the guy who got burned alive. And he said, we uh, we avenged your son and whatnot. And during their during his press conference, he told them, he's like, we will not tolerate this and da 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 and all this stuff. And he's like, you come after me and my people. I will bring fire and brimstone. I will rain fire and brimstone down upon you, I think was his direct quote. That's that's the language that these terrorists understand. Right. So they either. Um, you you either pay them a lot of money to, to give you peace, or you 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 fight with them. The language I understand. You know? That's well, and the funny thing, be. yeah, and the funny thing is, I mean, Abla has a culture in his in Jordan that does have, in fact, a want like Sharia law and whatnot, but he doesn't tolerate it. He he smacks that shit down real fast, and he says. You can do it in your own little culture if you want, but you ain't spreading that crap around. Jordan and Morocco are actually two of the most safest places for Americans to travel. Because Abdullah don't tolerate that crap. You you do not want to be the one who tries to abduct an American citizen while they're in Jordan because he will string you up and execute you. I'm just thinking about that. When America was independent, they had problems with some some uh, Muslim nations uh, where they had the pirates in, in, in there and some oh, you're talking about them. you're talking about um, um, uh, the Tripoli pirates if I'm not mistaken Tripoli uh, the, the American was, was paying something like 10 or 15 percent tax to stop these pirates taking their exports until the Navy until America got tired of it and sent their Navy over there I think that that was, uh, was it the was it Barbados Pirates? No. You're talking, this is like back in like. This is like a long time ago. Like 17, 18, you're talking like 1800s. I want to say that was, it wasn't. It's interesting because I think the America fought with the UK over what, 2% tax, but they like this piracy going, paying, cost them like 12 or. 40% tax on their exports on, on these African countries. Yeah, I want to say it was it was the Tripoli the Tripoli pirates, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's a, bit, a bit of a blind spot for me, actually. I need to kind of I want to say it's Tripoli though, because Tripoli's over in that in that area. Um so I think I think that's I think that's right. But yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, people don't realize like this Muslim incursion stuff isn't new. I mean, Europe's been I mean, in 500 and that was a 580 something between 580, 590. So I can't remember the exact time frame, but there's a first Frankish King, uh, Charles Martel, the hammer was his name. He was the unified, the Frankish tribes and became the first Frankish King of Francia, um, which was the, uh, to be the bloodline of Charlemagne. Um, he in 500, whatever AD, he unified the Frankish tribes and repelled a Muslim incursion that if historians say that if he hadn't have unified the tribes and defeated the Muslims, 
um, or Arabs at that time, I guess, because uh, Prophet Muhammad wasn't wasn't born yet, I don't think, at that time. Um, but the Arabs came and, and, and came up through Spain and tried to conquer into Francia and everything like that, and Charles Mattel repelled them. And historians agree that if he hadn't have done that, then England and most of Western Europe would have been Arab Muslim nations, even to this day. So it's not a it's not a new thing. It's it's uh it's I mean the Spanish ask the Spanish. The Spanish have had Muslim problems for since right around 580 and all the way through the crusades all the way through um even into world war one do, do you think like these muslim nations were i'm not too familiar with the, the ancient history of when uh islam started but do you think the nations they started off peaceful and then they were provoked into military exploits like just like the Catholic Church. So the big the big shift came after the death of Muhammad, in which he there was essentially two factions, is where you get your Shiite Sunnis come from. Um really three if you include the the Heshemites. Um but essentially it's, it was that division of who was gonna inherit the the legacy of Muhammad, and that's kind of where the division separated. And it really came about under the, I want to say it was under the Ottoman Empire. Uh, Arabs were persecuted and were were displaced by the Ottomans, even though the Ottomans themselves were not unaccustomed to having Muslims among their ranks. Um, but that's when the big uh, push came for the thing that was that was when they came up with the. Uh, it's right around when the Hadiths were made, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but essentially, if I'm not mistaken, that's when the unification and the jihadist mentality kind of came about. It was during under the rule of the Ottoman Empire. So I always thought that the Shias or the Sunnis was the one that was claimed descendant from Muhammad. They all, they all, they all claim it in one way or another, but only the Heshemite kingdoms can actually prove it. Oh, really? I thought, okay, okay. Because I thought, I, I think it was... Just... It's, not even, it's not necessarily their belief that they come from Muhammad. It's more of they believe that they were the true inheritors of the legacy of Muhammad. Yeah, I thought it was like the Sunnis that believed that the authority from Allah was passed from Muhammad's direct descendants versus Muhammad's like disciples. That that could be the case. I'm 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 not a Muslim expert. Yeah, I do know that there after Muhammad's death, there was a split between um I think one of his sons had the faction. So so yeah, here we go. So you're you're right. So Shia was the there's a set after Muhammad's death, Shia was the ones who believed that. The inheritor or, or who succeeded Muhammad should be one of his family, namely uh, his cousin and son-in-law Ali, um, which is where you get Shiite Ali or simply Shia in in uh, 
And then Sunnis were the ones who believe that the Islamic community should be led by his, Muhammad's successors, um, yeah. the elite members of his. Uh, so, yeah. So that's the actually, so ones that actually are. <laughs> so are, are actually. Yeah. So Shia would be more so. And it's actually interesting because Shia is more prominent in uh, uh, Iraq. Um Let's see. Uh, Iraq, Iran, Bahrain, Azerbaijan, Lebanon, and uh, those are where they're the most popular. Um, but yeah, so that's the that's the main split difference. Apparently, I knew it was something on that. I can remember. Well, if you're interested, you can you can join in one of our cross debate friendly yeah so that we can both grow closer well, like, to people don't realize people. well people don't realize like it, it's 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 all stupid i mean the the quran before the teachings of muhammad was the torah well like, actually the, the quran actually refers to the torah a lot and the bible sorry not the yeah. bible the new testament which calls the angel yeah, because because jesus in the quran is a not the son of god but a prophet but before before Muhammad, the Quran was essentially taught as the vast majority of it coming from the Torah. Because the 13 tribes of Islam comes from Ishmael, son of Abraham, or Abraham in, in Islam, and the tribes of Isaac, which are the Jewish tribes. So, I mean, they're cousins, both blood and uh, uh, philosophical and religious. Well, the the um, there's a lot of references to the Torah in the you know the, basically the the you know forgive me if I'm making messes up, but the Quran seems to say that the tells Muslims to go to the people of the book to to discuss matters, and the Quran says a lot of very respectful things to Isa <clears throat> and uh, follows yeah, Isa Al Masiha, you know, Jesus yeah, Isa who 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 is Isaac. Who is the? Oh, if I'm not mistaken, who is the the father of the Jews? Well, there's, there's things in the Quran that talk about Isa being sinless and being a holy child and born of a virgin, and uh, it's, it's kind of it's quite fascinating what what the Quran does say about Isa. And uh, but they, they, you know, if any Muslims listen to this, they can they can basically go to the the, the Bible and and find out more about Isa. Uh, as the Quran well, the, well the funny the funny thing is is when you get into the debate about when it comes to like Sharia law and all that stuff and whatnot because people you got one group of which will say oh no the vast majority of Muslims don't believe in Sharia law but if you actually break it down by nation I think it's something like a, a majority like in the 70 to 80 percent of muslims worldwide believe in sharia law in some form or fashion the other argument which can be made in that the have you ever heard the term moderate muslim like yes, someone says yeah. oh i'm a moderate satanist or something yeah well we have moderate Christians because we had what's called the Reformation. 
there is no such thing as a moderate Muslim. That's a big statement to make, but I can prove it. So the reason there's no such thing as a moderate Muslim is because in the Hadiths, the teachings of Muhammad, Muhammad states that any who do not follow all the teachings and tenets of Sharia shall be named apostate and put down like the infidel. So the Prophet Muhammad himself said that if you don't follow every single teaching of Islam to include the Sharia, then the five pillars of Islam, then you are not a Muslim, you are an apostate. So until the quote-unquote moderate Muslims come together and have a reformation and say, we're not that Muslim, we're this new Muslim, which we don't believe in tithing 10% of our uh, goods and our uh, income to uh, the church, to, to, to the uh, mosques for, uh, for, uh, for jihad. That's part of, that's one of the Sharia laws is you have to tithe 10% of your income to the church or to the, to the imams and who are in charge of the mosques. And because the, the mosques are required to use that funds to use a tenth of their funds to go towards jihad. That's so, I've heard about. I mean, I've heard of alms, which I think is two, between two and three percent. If you actually look, if you, if you actually look up, churches, mosques are required to tie the certain percentage of their income to go specifically towards fatwas and jihads. Oh, I never heard of that before. Under Sharia law. When you're saying that when Muhammad says you must do this Sharia or you're apostate, is that is that written in the Quran or is it like there's different classes of hadith? So there's like there's that is in like, that is in uh, I can't remember the exact hadith, but that is in hadith. Let's see, that is in one of the hadiths though. I think some some of the there's different, there's different levels of of like authoritativeness of hadith. So that might be one of the I don't know well, if it's, it's, it's one of the core well, ones it, or not. Well, the difference is, is the, is the hadith specifically uh, the ones that which I'm referencing are direct quotes from Muhammad. They're mm -hmm. not interpretations; they are direct quotes. So, hold on. I think what you'll find is that if there's something that a hadith says that clashes with the Quran, it will say that that has to be judged with by the light of the Quran. So, you'll find that Muslims will basically go back to the Quran as a authoritative source well, that's yeah. protecting their tenants, you know. And that's where you get though you can find the difference between the moderates and the radicals. Because the moderates will look at the Quran and see the teachings, and the radicals will look at the teachings of Muhammad, especially in his later years where he's all war in and out and everything like that. And uh and and go towards the more hardcore Sharia tenants. I'm thinking that a lot of the terrorism now is basically people with an agenda and they're using uneducated or you know radicalized people to, to basically have this interpretation of the of the quran that's warlike in the quran there's, there's a lot of peaceful verses that talk about going to talk to the jews and you know deal with the book it's a difficult topic to talk about if you're into politics or and most most politicians just go down the route of like everything the quran says is peaceful um but yeah, I mean, there are there are verses out there that. No, I said I'm not. I'm not like a. I'm not. I'm not an Islamophobe or anything like that. I'm just. I'm just stating the facts that your own prophet says you can't be a moderate Muslim. You're an apostate unless you have a referendum because you're not following all the tenets of Sharia. Therefore, you're an apostate.
That's your prophet's words. Those aren't mine. Yeah, and that's not to say, and that's not to say, Catholics and Christians didn't do some jacked up crap in our days. That's not putting the blame all on, um, Arabs or anything like that or Muslims. But as of right now, there's only one religion that's perpetually continuing the war on terror. It's not. We don't have Buddhists going around cutting people's heads off. We don't have Christians going around cutting people's heads off. You have these extreme radical Muslims, which people try to say, oh, they're in the minority, they're in the minority. Well, if you actually look at by population of every nation, I think uh, Cato Institute did a study on this, and it shows that the vast majority of Muslims in the world believe in Sharia law in some form or fashion. It's not a minority believe in Sharia law. It's a, it's a, the vast majority believe in it in some form mm-hmm. or fashion. Yeah, but Sharia law doesn't mean terrorism or, or like military. Conflict. No, but Sharia law perpetuates inhumane treatment towards women, homosexuals, which perpetuates this notion to need to use terrorist antics. Because as people who believe in freedom, we're not going to sit by and watch watch a group of people push homosexuals off buildings. So is um, is King Hussein of Georgian? Is that his name? King Abdullah. King Abdullah. Is, 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 that, is, is that his son? Hussein's son? Or is that? Yeah, that's the, that's a, uh, yeah, Abdullah is Hussein's, uh, Hussein of Jordan. That's his, because uh, it was Abdullah the first was the grandfather who was the first king of Transjordistan, and Hussein was his son, and then King Abdullah the second, if I'm not mistaken. And in, in, in Jordan, is that Sharia law? No. But it's mostly it's mostly Muslims there. Mostly right? Shia. It's mostly yeah. Shia. So are you saying that they don't they want more Sharia law there? So the like I said, when I say them when I say the majority, you gotta look at each country's group of people, and then you gotta take that group of people who say yes in that nation and give a what I'm saying 70-80%, that's saying like uh 95% in Iran. 30 percent in morocco and 12 to 15 percent in jordan like mm-hmm. you add all those up it equals out to like 70 80 percent of the muslim world believes in sharia law in jordan it's substantially less um than say say saudi arabia or iran but they may be but like because like i was in turkey two weeks ago right and anything goes there in terms of like parties and whatever to go all in the nightclubs you want drinking but like people could say like they might feel guilty and they might feel like you know if someone says like christian do you believe that you know jesus is lord they would feel like <laughs> compelled to say yes right but if you go to a muslim and say hey do you believe that sharia law should be done he's, he's going to he, he's brought up muslim he's going to feel compelled to say yes and even the public doesn't, doesn't believe otherwise the country would change Otherwise, Turkey would be an Islamic republic that basically follows Sharia law, but it's not. You know, they all keep electing moderate politicians in, in a sense, moderate. Because the reason Turkey is not the reason Turkey is not a Sharia law place, even though uh, the president of Turkey is most definitely a Muslim Brotherhood sympathizer, is because Turkey's number one import is tourism. Mm-hmm. So. If they became full on Iranian Sharia law or Saudi Sharia law, and and they would 
essentially go bankrupt simply on the fact that they wouldn't be collecting the same amount of revenue from their tourism as they would be. From mostly Russians. It's the same argument that you can make against China because China is a communist republic of China, but yet Shanghai and Beijing are run as strictly capitalist enterprises because Shanghai and Beijing, they have to, they allow them to be ran as capitalists because they know if they don't, then their entire economy crashes. So even though it's antithetical to their actual ideals, they allow it to happen because they know that it's something that they need to allow to happen to be able to run their country properly. And, and to put it in perspective, Iran before 1970, what was it, 1970, was it 78, 77 revolution in Iran? I can't remember. Seven, it was in the 70s. The Iranian revolution. Um, before then, massive tourism. Before then, women didn't have to wear headdresses. Before then, people traveled all over, all, all the time in Iran. We're, what, 50 years later now? And no tourism, pretty much, outside of Muslims traveling to Mecca. Well, I guess it's Saudi Arabia, technically. There's another place in Iran, though. I can't think, I can't think of where it's called. But yeah, I mean, their tourism in, in 10 years outside of becoming a caliphate, they essentially had to find other revenues of uh, avenues of revenue. Now, granted, they're slightly different than Turkey. They had natural resources and stuff like that that Turkey doesn't have. So they were able to do that, but still, I mean, you still, they still saw the pain of it. I, I, I'd imagine that a lot, of, a lot of young people that are not very happy, a lot of people that are, you know, disillusioned by, you know, the revolutionary guard and the state run terrorism that's happening there. Yeah. I do think, I do think there's a lot of, a lot of fear between the West and, uh, you know, the East, just people, people just, they don't, I think that a lot of problems that we have are basically, there's no dialogue between the cultures. There's no, we don't sit around each other's tables and discuss, get together and discuss what's the differences. We, we sort of think these, yeah, these, see, these the, you know. I agree with that, but there's a difference when I can't sit across the table with someone and if they, they say something wrong about Jesus that I'm like, all right, well that's, that, that's you're wrong, but here's why. And then we have that dialogue, but the minute I say anything bad about Muhammad, uh, they want to cut my head off because that's against, you know, that's, that's blasphemy. That's, that's where the, the difference is. I've, I've been, in the, I've been talking to Muslims since I was 18 in universities and, and I've well, never, well, and this is this is obviously I'm talking about the extreme radicals, which there's there there are on both sides. But as of right now, we're talking about radical Muslims. That you can't. I mean, what was that? Uh, one uh, there's a female Muslim uh, professor in England who's had a fatwa on her head for like 20 years because she teaches things that are anti-Sharia law, and it's not a fatwa from a terror from just the terrorist groups. I mean, Iran. Was state sponsor to terror? I mean, Iran put a the a statewide fatwa on her head. I can't think of her name. I'm trying to remember what her name is. Um, but uh, but that uh, even that young girl. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, they made a movie out of her. Call me. Uh, was it Milani? Um, I can't think. 
I can't think of her name. She escaped uh, from one of those Muslim countries. She was being, her family was being persecuted. Uh, God, I can't remember her name. But anyways, but they, they put a fatwa on her because she was speaking out against. So that's what I'm saying. Is you got it's it's a difference between you have one side which has allows the ability to have conversation and eat and disagree and even in, even have the here's the here's the difference. You can't have an intellectual or or honest conversation with someone unless you're willing to be offended. Mm-hmm. The minute you're not willing to be offended, you're not willing to have an honest conversation. And that's the problem with radicals on either side of the spectrum, but specifically in the Muslim radical community is that the minute they get offended or you offend their, 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 their position or profit, and then they want to start taking dirty shots. I mean, granted, no. granted there are going to be some scary people. I've only, I've only ever come across one Muslim who was a bit like radical that way, but you know, um, well, I maybe stopped, I stopped talking to him because you know he he was he wanted to keep talking to me. I talking to him, but he he yeah, he was quite a quite a radical right, guy. So, <laughs> so 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 let's say that's the only guy that you had that that the only Muslim you've had that that thing that that altercation where you but he, he was never aggressive to me. He was basically aggressive towards other you know, Christians that were speaking directly against Muhammad, right? But and that's something okay. that I didn't really spend much time talking about. You know, I was trying to so, basically so so you know so you know that one person. Let's say as the only person you know personally that has done yeah. that. But yeah, I was still talking to when them. Was about, eventually, oh, eventually, eventually I got started getting some weird messages and I just basically didn't reply anymore. Yeah, but my, my my question is all right, so you have that one guy who represents what I'm talking about from the extreme Muslim side. Name me the last time you heard a Christian that got wanted to go on a rampage on Muslims because they said something bad about Jesus. Um, personally, never heard, never heard of anything like that. But I've heard of the Crusades, which was but just as bad as anything else I've heard. That the- uh, actually disagree. The Crusades lasted all of like, between the three of them, lasted like a hundred years. Sorry, this, I'll, I'll, let's, let's say the Spanish Inquisition, which is worse than the Crusades. That was Christian on Christian warfare. Yeah, that was Christian on Christian. Yeah, but you want to, but that's why people try to make the conversation about, oh, well, the Christians it's so bad during the Crusades. Yeah, but that was only you're only looking at like a hundred to two hundred years of actual crusading. Um, um, fuck it, we'll put it up at three hundred years of crusading. You're trying to yeah. compare that to almost seventeen hundred years of Muslim jihad. That's night and day. You can't compare the two, and the Muslims gave just as good as they got during the Crusades. I mean, wasn't there like a? Wasn't there like a? I mean, in the Second Crusade, Saladin, the greatest uh, Arab general, who, if you really want to piss a Muslim off and like a really radical Muslim off, tell him Saladin, Saladin wasn't a Muslim; he's a Kurd, because he was. Um, that really pisses him off. Um, but Saladin took Jerusalem and held it for quite a long time. So I mean, that's that's not a fair comparison to, to to bring up the Crusades because Muslims gave just as good as they got, and they perpetuated jihad since 
500 AD consistently. I mean, even, I mean, you don't even have to go that far back. You don't even have to go to, to the last 20 years. Look at the, the seven day war against, uh, uh, Jerusalem against, against Israel in the 1970s. Yeah, that was that was when the I believe 1972. Uh, Egypt, but Israel struck first because they were worried about getting invaded by this conglomerate with Egypt. No, um, that's wrong. No, that is, that is wrong. The day of Yom Kippur, they the combined force of Jordan, Egypt, uh, Jordan, Egypt. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Morocco, and there's like a couple others that all combined together and did a surprise attack on Yom Kippur, the Jewish holiday, and lasted seven days and Israel whooped their ass. And it's not just the one, there's been multiple. Israel multiple managed to destroy all of Egypt's airplanes before they took off. Yeah, and they took the West Bank, if I'm not mistaken, in, in that one as well. So, I mean, there's like I said, do you want to you want to talk about about people who are still perpetuating violence? I mean, after World War II, there's only really been two people that have been perpetuating war: communists slash slash so, socialists and radical Muslims. Since after World War II. Well, I mean, we, I don't imagine we're going to see any that ending anytime soon in terms of. All weapons are given to the Afghanistan Taliban. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, we giantly screwed the pooch on that one and given them $86 billion of hardware. Uh, yeah, America's got a lot of egg on its face on that one. Um, but that has nothing to do with the military occupation or the military forces. That's all political. That's just like Vietnam. We didn't lose Vietnam because of military. We lost it because the politicians couldn't grow a pair and stick with it and do it properly. Yeah. Same with Afghanistan. So. So what, the, yeah. the, 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 basically all these, the ones that are not just thugs, the, the terrorists, if you want to call them radical, you know, misguided Islamists, whatever you want to call them, but they, a lot of them believe that what they're doing is right. And uh, they believe with all their heart. They, you, you, if you want to blow yourself up, then you have to believe that you're doing something that's going is oh, yeah. right. You know, it's morally it's morally correct. You know. Yeah, I've never once said they don't believe in what they they're doing is right. Yeah, that's. I don't think anybody can make that argument because, like you said, it takes a lot of conviction to blow yourself up. Um, yeah. but they, they believe they're going to go to and that's the to problem Jannah, to heaven for yeah. that. And that's the problem with religious wars is that's when it's those are our, honestly probably the most dangerous wars because you have zealots on both sides and zealots aren't gonna surrender so you imagine you imagine the shock horror once they blow that bomb up and they expect to they expect to be transported to jenna and they end up um burning in hades you know so like it's gonna be I can you can imagine that. I mean, you're doing something pretty horrific, right? You're you're basically murdering people, but you expect them to go to heaven, and then you're you immediately end up basically precursors to to hell, you know? Yeah. What a what a but, what a bad day. 
I'm I'm not in the majority in my viewpoint on how to deal with warfare. Um, I'm a I. You ever heard the old Winston Churchill uh, quote? Uh, Speak softly, but carry a big stick. Uh, no, I think so. Yeah, Winston Churchill, uh, speak softly, but carry a big stick means speak kindly, talk, but always have the giant stick ready in the background to pound somebody to dust. Um, big stick being military, obviously, in, 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 in this, but I believe that's a Winston Churchill quote. Um, so I'm, I'm more of a speak very, very forcefully and loudly and carry an even bigger stick kind of person. Um, I'm, I'm not one of these people who's going to mince words or try to try to pat your feelings down and console you. Like if, if I had lead in Afghanistan and I had the decisions to make the decisions, or I, I had the ability to make the decisions. The minute we were pulling out, well, first off, we wouldn't abandon Bagram air base and we wouldn't have pulled air support. But that's besides the fact. But the minute any any single one of those little Taliban guys or Al Qaeda K or or Al Qaeda or ISIS K or whoever it is, the minute they started acting up, bomb the crap out of them, and then bomb three, four, five, help make it ten other areas that have hotbeds of people that are terrorists or suspect the terrorists, and just send a good solid message: we're leaving, but we're going to do it on our time. Stay the hell away, and you'll have your country back. A lot, a lot of those fighters now they're they're so integrated into populations. It sounds it sounds easy when you just say like bomb the See, hell. That's out the of problem it. people have is problem people have that problem where like oh well we don't want to hurt innocent civilians. That's not our problem. On the Geneva Convention, the specific articles which stipulate that if you're that if a enemy combatant ingrains themselves into a into a civilian populace. It is on that combatant's responsibility to attempt to protect the, their the the civilian population from uh, from uh, the outfall of conflict. It is not on the opponent to have any discretion to save civilian lives. So, for example, what that means is: Do you know why most milit? Do, do you know why most heads of states who are uh, not good people like uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Do you know why he doesn't hold a military rank? Do you know why uh, the president of Syria doesn't hold a military rank? Do you know why the Ayatollah of Khamenei does not hold a military rank in Iran? To get out of the Geneva Convention? Huh? So that they don't become classless combatants? There you go. Because if they hold the rank of a military officer, and they are the head of a state, they are now deemed legitimate targets. That's why we could go after Suleimani, but we couldn't go after Khamenei. If Khamenei put stars on his shoulders, guess what? Now he's a legitimate target, and we can not only attack him, we can attack him in his house, presidential palace, wherever he's at, to kill him. And any civilians in that vicinity, it's his responsibility to protect them, not ours. So if the, if the Geneva Convention is like the ultimate law of whatever, why do people still criticize Israel for attacking the terrorists amongst the civilization? Why? Because they could just, Israel could just say, Geneva Convention, everyone should shut up. And actually, that makes a great argument because 
taking that into consideration, now you can see that actually when you when you take the actual strict letter of Geneva and you implement Israeli strategy and the fact that they don't bombard Hamas in civilian centers, even though legally they could, shows you that they're not an apartheid state. So we say legally, you mean like we could get a international criminal court? In the international court of law at The Hague in Geneva, the international court of law, if you bombed, if, if for example, if Israel where they're getting rockets shot at them from inside this city and their Iron Dome goes off and they get the rockets and then they launch a counter-strike to exactly where those rockets are, which they do do. <laughs> the difference is, is Israel gives like a 30-minute to an hour warning before they bomb the area the missiles came from to let the civilians get out. If they just launched immediately and destroyed it and so let's say they killed 500 uh, Hamas people but also killed like another 500 civilians – Legally, they are legally allowed to do that under Geneva. They will, could not be censored or convicted in the international court of law. They don't do that, though, because they want to be able to try to save innocent lives. But under the strict legality of international war and conflict, that is permissible. Well, permissible under those categories of laws. But if Israel did, did start... You know, causing even more massacres, then they might just spring on on top of a you know, military action. True, by, and that's yeah. and that's why people don't usually do that. That's why Israel tries to do what they're doing and try to preserve humanity in, in Hamas because they're trying to show the people, hey, if you ever get out from underneath Hamas's thumb, keep in mind that we didn't just dis- indiscriminately just bomb the crap out of you. Israel could conquer Hamas in a matter of twenty four hours. They could conquer Palestine in a matter of 72 completely and utterly not even a question they choose not to because they want to try to be the bigger man and legally they would be allowed to because 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 palestine is not a recognized state what i did criticize israel but was, was basically this whole green passport stuff that they really rolled out and look at israel's uh what are you talking about the vaccine passports to be able to get into the into Israel or yeah, that's that's why I was I was annoyed at Israel recently because they were they were basically oppressing their own people with like get vaccinated or you can't go to sh- the schools and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I mean that's I mean you're, that's you're talking about I mean every country's doing that, not just Israel. But they were really horrible. About well, it. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but like I mean, Australia. Look at Australia. Yeah. I mean that's totalitarianism at its finest. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just can't believe the values of Australia right now. This is what's coming out of there. It's just, I think I, I think that people are trying to start a civil war. But a lot of people are, a lot of people think they're, you know, let's talk about civil war, patriotism, and we're going to fight you. But that's all well good if you're. That's all, that's all good. good. If that's not if that's not the that could be the plan of the very enemy you're you're. That could be your enemy's plan is to start some Well, also, America is the only country that we regularly and freely have a crap load of firearms available to the civilian market. That's why our that's why that's why politicians here don't try to push us too far, or they try to, but uh, once they realize that they ain't going to get as far as they intend, uh, they stopped. Like Biden right now is pushing real close to seeing some real ugly business with his whole. Um, anybody who doesn't in the military who doesn't want to get the vaccines going to get a dishonorable discharge. 
that right there, if he continues to try to push that through, uh, he, uh, he may not end up running for, for another term. He's either going to get voted out or something because that's you, – you're, you're, you're pissing off a lot of people on that one. Because people don't realize a dishonorable discharge is not the same as an otherwise honored, uh, other than honorable discharge. A dishonorable discharge, you usually only get that if you're getting court-martialed and you're going to jail. It's essentially you committed a crime and we have found you guilty and now you have been dishonorably discharged and you are going to serve a, some term of prison sentence. Um, so when he, I don't know if he just misused the term. And meant other than honorable, but if he tries to push people for court martial for not taking a vaccine, he's gonna get a lot of flake and kick back. Specifically so for if I if I if I try and copy Jack Reacher and sort of not like get patriotic about it, I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying I'm, if I want to look at it subjectively, you know, have you seen the movie Jack Reacher? Yeah. And the lawyer's like Telling him to look at look at this case of this guy who shot the sniper and he's shot a smoking bullet and and, and uh, Jack Reacher Tom Cruise is like, you want me to look at this case objectively, and if I look at America, and a lot of people are getting excited about you know let's get patriotic and let's you know let's take back the these these politicians are doing things and saying things in such a way that they're trying to almost provoke. A civil war, right? So when you look at something that's so stupid, then you have to look at it in a way that it's planned to be stupid. People are there's some people above the system that have something to gain from civil war, whether it's America, which could easily become in a sense civil war because you have all the weapons, but you also have had civil war in Ukraine. I mean they don't have a lot of weapons there. What happened there was that you had protests in Maidan. And eventually, the um, uh, you had escalated to a point where civilians were being shot down for automatic weapons, and then the civilians declared that we are going to go into a, we're going to take this hot, we're going to get weapons, we're going to start fighting, and that's when Yanukovych fled. Men, um, Russia got involved, and you had the whole separatists in, in eastern Ukraine. They got civil war there. Civil war is a lot of fun, and uh, I go to Ukraine a lot. People in hospitals, hostels are. Getting more and more injured people. I know people that are fighting there. Um, not, you know, not that well, but I'm people in the same community. Uh, it just seems to me that there's there's forces above us all, and they're wanting civil wars. So I think that's why we have to be careful when we start talking about civil war. We have to, and, and in a sense, you're in, you're in two possible places. Right? You've got: do we just sit here and let us be taken over by this medical tyranny? Or do we do a civil war to escape it? And both might be a viable, a viable plan for for um, the controllers. So, what do you do in that situation? So it it's I don't think we'll ever get to the point where we have like a civil war, civil war, because um, we have right now we have like me, like I'm part of the populist movement, American First movement, uh, in which we're pushing to get more people who truly just want what's best for America and aren't looking for any self-gratification through a paycheck or through status or anything like that. Um, so you have that one aspect, but anyone who knows American history, it's not surprising 
what the Democrats are doing right now. I mean, the Democrats have always been a party of controlling Americans for quote unquote, their own good. Um, I mean, they did it with in the civil war. They're the fan. They're, they're the party of, of slavery, of Jim Crow, of segregation. Um, they're, the, they're the party of Johnson's new deal in which they separated black males from the family and, perpetuated the opioid and drug crisis by introducing crack cocaine into the community. Um, so black community, I mean, they're, they've, they consistently perpetuate this narrative as social welfare benefits um, to not just blacks, but poor as people in general, because essentially the way that it is, is they're saying you're too poor and too stupid and too lazy to go get a job. So we're going to support you through this trying time. That's essentially what the Democrat platform is in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see that with them saying voter ID is, 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 is a racist. Even though like 80% of blacks agree with voter ID in America, but somehow it's racist. No, what's racist is the fact that you think black people are too stupid to know how to get an ID. That's racist. You're essentially saying these people, immigrants and blacks and other minorities are too low income and too low brow and too stupid to know how to get an ID. So therefore, voter IDs disenfranchise them from being able to vote. It's essentially what anti-voter ID people are about. That's that's a very dumbed down Barney style way of looking at it, but that's just the facts. I mean, you so someone can disagree with me all they want, whatnot, but tell me why you're against voter ID. Well, because it's discriminatory. How? Get, tell me in layman's terms how it's discriminatory. Are you saying that black people don't know how to get an ID? Joe Biden said that. Yeah, it's, so, it's complete manipulation of, of black people. It is, them. but it's it's, it's 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 but this this is this is the party of. This this is this is the party of slavery. They 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 went from physical enslavement to financial enslavement to educational enslavement. They've they've never changed. They say they're for the people, but they're really for themselves, and they use the people to their own benefit. And they don't want a challenging class. And this is both Democrats and Rhinos now at this point too. This is the elite political class I'm talking about, both on the left and right, is that they don't want people who don't have a Harvard education being politicians. They don't want people who didn't run for state government to be in Congress. They want the people who are like them, who have been in this game for a long enough time to be corrupted enough to be able to play the game and play it their way. That's what they want. Um, it's why they don't want term limits because then that puts kind of an end to their fun and happiness and spending spring in Washington. Um, they don't want they don't like people like me who wants to cut all of Congress's pay scale down and stop them from being able to vote themselves raises and implement term limits. And but you, you want to reduce state government, yeah. I, I want to limit I I want it to be to the point where you can't only be a politician and survive. You need to have a second source of income. That's what it was designed to do. It's what it was designed to do. The founding fathers didn't want career politicians. They wanted you to come represent your constituents and then go back and do your damn day, day job. That's what yeah. you're supposed to do. That's fantastic. So cut the pay down to where 
it's enough to pay for an apartment and food for the year that you're there. Yeah, this is what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. You were saying like normally in America for started, they wouldn't have like this constant like full-time Congress and lawmaking. They basically get together now and again and say, just check check on things, make sure things are okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, that, if you're going to start a country, you, that if you're going to start a country, that seems like the logical way to go about it. You wouldn't want to have like full time <laughs> discussing, 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 you know, like what we have now with the European Union and all those career politicians. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why that's why I, I, me and a lot of populists like me, but not don't. We want term limits. We want we want people to. I mean, a fair amount of senators and congressmen have actual jobs, but not all, but not all of them. A lot of them, they go do their Congress thing. And then like my incumbent, David Rouser, he owns a business. But as far as I know, he goes to Congress, does his thing, comes back, campaigns, does his little meet and greets and whatnot, and doesn't actually have to go do a day job. And that's, I feel, something that's wrong. It shouldn't require, I mean, there, and there's another, and there's some another issue that's wrong with it is that we have the vast majority of people in Congress are lawyers. Like that in and of itself should be a giant red flag. Yeah. I just don't trust human nature enough to, to like have these career politicians. I don't think anyone should have a lot of power. Maybe, exactly. You know, I, I just I mean, know human nature is just, I mean, just if people want to talk about, oh, well, they're doing this, this. Well, I mean, this, if they really wanted what was best for America, then they wouldn't try to stifle young people trying to come up to try to serve their nation. Like right now, it's in America, it's almost impossible to unseat an incumbent. Now it's a little better, but 10 years ago, it maybe one out of every 300 would get an, an incumbent unseated because it's set up and rigged to favor the incumbent. Why is that? Well, so for example, in Congress, Congress here, you're elected for two year terms. Well, once you get in, you're allowed to continually campaign throughout that time. Um, and then if you keep winning office, keep winning office, keep winning office, your war chest keeps growing and growing and growing. That's why almost every other person that's in the race currently in my district, I think one Democrat and me have raised the most. And I think it's like 3000 each. Like that's it. And David Rouser has like a $1.6 million war chest and he hasn't even started campaigning this year yet. Yeah. I, I just despise the whole American money for politicians like campaigning. I just, I, just I, sick, I, I agree. I, so, and here's another thing too, is it's like, cowardly, so he's, built up, he's, he's built up this war chest and whatnot, but we have another way it's rigged against people wanting to come in from the ground. Like me is that we have individual caps. So for only uh, a person can only donate up to uh, $5,800 for the entire political year as the max that one person can contribute. But then you have special uh, super PACs, which the candidates cannot even talk to the super PACs. But these super PACs get dark money from everywhere, and they take this money and they push it towards a certain individual. I mean, that's like that's what happened with like uh, 
in North Carolina, Nancy Pelosi threw a crap load of money into North Carolina and Florida against Republican challengers um, through her super PAC. And she's just, that's, that's how it's, it's just, it's so dirty. And so Senator Cruz and I, and I agree with this is make it easier for the little guy to be able to come up and just get rid of the mandate, get rid of super PACs. If a person wants to donate a million dollars, let them donate a million dollars. I also think there needs to be a cap. I think once you reach a certain amount, shouldn't be allowed to raise anymore. The thing is, if you stop people by getting lots of money for campaigns, you basically have, instead of having five people sticking their head above the crowd, shouting and people seeing it, you have basically, I don't know, 2,000 people all shouting at the same level. And then people are basically absolutely spoiled for choice. And the only ones that they're going to be able to hear are those that are basically independently wealthy or they have some kind of following on YouTube or Instagram. So both ways have their issues, you know? <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't, like, for example, North Carolina, I have to, to get on the ballot, to get on the ballot, I have to pay 1% per, 1% of the office that I'm running for's uh, salary. Why do I have to pay anything to be on the ballot? Or if I do need to pay some, why can't I be like 10 bucks or a hundred bucks? You want me to pay like $1,800 to be able to put my name on a ballot? That's insane. Yeah. That's basically, well, that's basically locking out the working class because working class don't have 1800 Ding, 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 ding. Bingo. It just seems stupid. Bingo was his name Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm right to judge, but I'm not planning to go into politics. I've been put off <laughs> enough that I was once asked to join the Conservative Party in a sort of more, like, I could have been an up-and-coming Conservative because I was, like, invited to the European Parliament with Daniel Hannan to talk about Brexit and all that stuff. Let be sort of trained as a, as a Brexiteer. And I was invited to sort of take care of I was a part of a borough in London and I was involved in the executive committee for a place but I just like I think actually to be honest my listeners I, I just couldn't be bothered with it I couldn't be bothered with all the campaigning and going door to door and uh, I'm a relatively successful programmer and I just thought out of laziness just to keep doing programming in a sense so that's my it wasn't really any desire for power you know because you know I couldn't be power I wouldn't really be much power anyway but I used to always, also wanted to be something involved in international relations, but I just couldn't sit and talk nicely to all these different leaders that I didn't res- respect. You know, I, just, I don't know. I, I don't know what will happen in the future. But I mean, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, criticizing things, and uh, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't know where the podcast is going. I don't know where I'll go in relations with politicians. Yeah, it's a. Uh... I don't know where I'm going either. It's uh, we'll see how this goes. I uh, I still need to raise a fair amount of money, so I'm still still lagging behind on that. But we'll uh, we'll see how things start to turn out here in the next month or two. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing I'm really passionate about on LinkedIn is basically human freedom. You know, I'm just. I don't really like talking about this stuff. It's cost me a lot of money in business. I think I've put off a lot of clients in terms of the way that I sort of interface with people on LinkedIn. I just get really annoyed with like vac- forced vaccinations and, and people losing their jobs that are mercies and, and just like, I, I really don't like talking about it. It's stressing, it makes me stressed. 
you know. Um, you know, affects my health a little bit sometimes, I feel. So I would try, yeah. like to just get rid of this, stop talking about this stuff and go on a normal life, peace and quiet. But as long as the situation keeps raising up its ugly head and I'm, I'm just forced but as, a self, as a sort of selfish self-defense, you know, I'm doing this more at self-defense than anything, you know, it's, 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 it's to, to sit and be silent in the face of this, it's, it's, it's stupid, you know. Yeah, there's a, I know what you mean. It's, it's almost like, why do we have to keep talking about this? Like, why can't we just get to a point where we just can all just come to understanding? But at the same time, if we don't talk about it, specifically considering we're kind of in the minority on this, on this side of it is there's no, there's no quote and I'm not going to quote it directly uh, proper, but it goes something along the lines of, uh, evil only succeeds when good men do nothing. Yeah, so, I mean, even good's a bit strong because you know, when Jesus says, "Why do you call me good teacher? No one's good except God." So I would say that evil. I would maybe tone it down a little bit and say evil only succeeds when when normal people don't say anything. I don't know. It's normal. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who said that quote. I want to say it was Thomas. J- Jefferson or or something I can't remember but it's a it's a good it's a quote that always stuck with me and 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 it's 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 one of those things where it's more of if you if I don't speak out against these things considering if I have even the smallest possibility of making an impact then I can't really criticize people who don't do the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't, it's like, it's like don't throw stones in a glass house kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't really critique or it's, it's, it's nice and fun when you can sit on the sidelines and, and complain about politicians. But at the end of the day, what's your complaining doing? Are you putting any skin in the game? Are you going out and actually doing something? And I'm not one for massive fanfare and all that stuff and whatnot. That being said, I think I got a a good message and something that needs to be heard. And even if I don't win, if it changes my opponent to move more back to the traditional conservative mindset of, of how things should be done, then I'll chalk that up as a win. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So. I mean, the, the reason that I went to LinkedIn in the first place was basically for, for business reasons, you know, and up until two years ago, most all my posts were basically business posts. And uh, I had a sort of reasonable amount of friends on there that I was connected to, but um, you know, people say that you you don't talk about these things like COVID, and no one's going to listen to you. But the, the engagement levels when I do post a business post versus when I do post on uh, on these matters that are really stressing me out. You know, this whole like path like COVID stuff. 
the, the people are much, much, much more engaged in, in the, the stuff that's not business, you know, even though that I prefer <laughs> to get more business than just people like an echo chamber, but the echo chamber is real, you know, people are, people are, it's affecting people that much, people don't care about my business ideas, they, they care about, you know, people's thoughts on our attacks on human freedom right now, you know, so. Yeah, and it's interesting because you'll, it's always funny that it's always people who tend to lean more individual freedom, liberty, conservative, libertarian side of the spectrum. We're the ones who tend to lose friends and family members for our beliefs. But yet the, the liberals, somehow it's, it's our fault. You know what I mean? Like you don't see a lot of, you see plenty of conservatives going on liberal shows you don't see very many liberal progressives going on conservative shows say that again as it you you see a lot of you see a lot of conservatives like me libertarian the freedom of choice kind of individuals going on liberal progressive shows but you don't really see the same progressive liberals going on conservative shows i know what do you mean? So, for example, a liberal will go on a liberal-friendly show and rant and rave. Yeah. And same with the same with the conservative will go on a conservative <coughs> show and they'll rant and rave. Right, right. A conservative is more likely to go on a liberal show and and risk being offended and challenged than a progressive is to go on a conservative show. You know, that's the one of the number one things I'm finding on this podcast. I mean, I cannot get these liberal people to come debate my. MAGA friends have, <laughs> have been abused. I'm not abused. I, basically, people think I'm MAGA. And I, I've never claimed to be MAGA, but this one guy is like, you and your MAGA friends, you know, like it's some kind of boys in the room. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get people to debate some of the guests I've had on the show, but nobody wants to debate them from the level. Well, for example, for example, Colin, <laughs> my dad Colin, they, when he goes on a, on a debate show, they, and, and, and they know that the person they're going to be having Colin debate is a liberal progressive. They don't even let them know who's debating. They don't say who they don't say his name. They just say professor of history is going to come on and debate this because the, he's known in the, in the, especially in the academia debate realm where when he comes on now, if people hear his name and they get introduced to say, he'll, he'll say, Hey, how are you doing? And then click the hang up because they just don't want to debate him. It's interesting because I couldn't really find much on your dad on YouTube, but yeah, it must be like an on, on, on sort of academic circle or something. Oh yeah, he he doesn't go on. He's not. He doesn't really have. He doesn't have anything on YouTube. I don't think. Minus uh, if it's some if it's some a show somebody else did that he happened to be on. Yeah, he's given but, top ones. To, I think that's some sort of military uh, convention or something. And my, and my uh, podcast, tea, tea party, yeah, the, the Tea Party Convention down in South Carolina in 2016. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 definitely, but it's one of those things where it's just like it goes back to what I said: is that to have a conversation, you have to be willing to be offended. If you're not willing to be offended, then you can't have a legitimate, honest conversation. Someone can come up to me, and if they're willing to debate me, they can call me every name under the sun. Guess what? Sticks and stones, bitch. It ain't going to hurt my feelings. I don't care. I'm a Marine. <laughs> I've heard worse. Yeah. Now, I now I call you a – and then, then if I turn around and call you a Ninzy Panny, Mary Poppins lookalike, <laughs> whatever, 
then all of a sudden I'm not even really cursing at you, just using proper nouns and euphemisms without swearing and you get butt hurt and get all up in your feelings. Then that's speaks more to the issue that you have with your own identity than it does about what I'm saying to you. And that's the problem with a lot of lefty progressives is they're, they come from an emotional, non, not a logical point of view. And when their emotional argument cannot defeat your logic, then they get all offended because how dare you challenge my emotions? My emotions mean, yeah. or my, my, my feelings matter. No, they don't. Your feelings have no place in an academic discussion and a debate. I could give two shits less about what your feelings are. Where's your facts? Where's your, stig- where's your, where's your statistics? Where's your data? It's, it's so frustrating intellectually. This this podcast, for me, the biggest biggest benefit is I just enjoy I enjoy doing it. I enjoy intellectual stimulation. But you know the reason that I'm trying to get liberals to come on and debate my MAGA friends, as some people would call them, is that I want to see the interaction as in a sort of I don't want to try make either side fight. You feel bad about each other. But and the funny thing other. is, yeah. And the funny thing is, is like people say, "Oh, MAGA," like they'll listen. Someone, one of your progressive friends will hear this show and they'll think oh he's a he's a far right extremist actually i probably have more in common with a moderate individual than i do with a fair amount of far right republicans it's quite funny on linkedin people think i'm in america sometimes the things i say like what's you know they don't they don't look at my profile when i'm in europe you know when i'm a scotsman they think i'm in america an american citizen you know like America's only country in the world. <laughs> so there yeah. is something. But it's it's just it's like like someone will come on and like I had one person because I'm a constitutional libertarian. So I believe in the constitution, but I'm a libertarian. I believe in freedom, liberty. Um, and someone came on, they're like, well, I was talking to somebody, they're like, Well, you're a you're a Republican, right? And I was like, I'm yeah, I'm registered Republican, but I'm a constitutional libertarian. It's like, oh, you're one of those. And I'm like, what is one of those? So you must be like anti-abortion and anti-marijuana and you're just all about this this or that and i was like actually i'm pro-legalization of marijuana and honestly i as far as abortion go if you take religion out of it because religion is the only real reason for an argument against it my policy would be leave it up to the states if california wants to have up to viability have at it if texas wants to have a heartbeat bill have at it just the science has to be at whatever the viability is of the fetus being able to live outside the womb, which is like 22, 24 weeks. That's the cutoff date. The week before viability, that's the cutoff date, so 21 weeks. And if California and New York want to put it all at the 21, have at it. If Virginia wants to outlaw it up until six weeks, that's that's their right. That's that's the state's right. See, if, if you don't, if you if you don't if you, if you don't like that state's rights, guess what? You can move out of the state. See, the, the biggest or the biggest, elect or or elect people that in that state that agree with you there's many avenues that we have in america so like i said i'm a man i don't know what it's like to have to be put in a situation so i'd rather not vote on something like that because i'm i can see both sides of the argument i can see the preservation of life i can also see the argument of when is it actually life so it's a very difficult one and i would just fall back on different conversations to the constitution. And as of right now, Roe v. Wade is legal. And the only stipulation I would have is leave it to the 10th amendment and let it be a state's rights issue. 
I'm trying to think if I should if I should bring it this, this thought because I debate atheists a lot a lot and uh, I spent hours here's the fun thing about atheists. Here's the fun thing about atheists, and I have nothing against atheists. I believe what you want. If you want to, if not believing in God makes you happy, just like if in Hinduism, if you believe cows are sacred, whatever makes you happy, have at it. I'm not to, I'm not I'm not one to, to challenge you, as long as your beliefs don't don't prohibit somebody else's freedom of belief, then we're fine. We're kosher. But the thing about atheism is it actually takes more effort to be an atheist than it is to just be religious. Because a religious person goes on faith. You believe there's God, period, plain and simple. An atheist has to go out of their way to inherently disprove God. So it's actually more effort to be atheist than just to not be an atheist. Yeah. So, see, if, if somebody, like, I, I want to just go back to that point because I, 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 my thought process is going down there anyway. So, if we say, if you look at abortion, which public people don't want to talk about much because it's so... Controversial? Yeah. But basically, the way I look at it is that if you want to take away, I'm not saying you are, I'm saying if you want to take a religion out of something, you have to look at what you're left with, right? And then you have yep. to look at it objectively on what is, is right and wrong. So if we say, if you look at abortion and say, if we take religion out of it, then you have to look at what you've taken out of, right? So basically, without God, you basically are left with determinism or materialism, which and no, means all, all, all that you've got is the movement of atoms and electrons and the, the, the no. laws of physics. I would argue no. The reason I argue no is just because you separate church and state in how you go about things, that doesn't mean that God isn't present. So what I mean by that is our constitution is in our in our nation is based off of Judeo-Christian values. The Founding Fathers were very, I would argue, much more religious and devout than most people nowadays. You would argue, you, you would agree with that, right? Yeah. About but based on my really pathetic knowledge of American <laughs> constitutional but, I mean, history. Just, just, just worldwide, just think of worldwide, 1700s versus 21st, or 1700s versus 21st, or 21st century. I mean, probably much more devout religion in 17, 1800s than 20, 21st century, correct? Yeah, probably much better time to be alive as well. Okay. <laughs> All the modern stresses we have. Yeah. So taking that argument that the Founding Fathers are actually more religious than we are now, yeah. how come there's not more religious texts in the Constitution? That's a good point. Because I they actually think about that. It's because they specifically wanted a separation of church and state. I guess the, I guess the but, had experience of cuts and stuff like that, you know. But, but while they wanted politicians to vote on issues separating church and state, the Bill of Rights, the founding ten amendments to the Constitution, are God-given rights. So that's why I'm saying that you can be a constitutionalist and still rely on the Constitution, which are God-given rights. And still separate church and state. Right, I see. You see what I mean? Yeah. So take religion out of the equation for abortion. That doesn't mean God's not present. That just means you fall back on 
the Constitution, which is a which is God's the first the Bill of Rights, which is God given rights. So, and as it states, or in this case doesn't state, there is nothing that prohibits abortion. Now, the argument now is made on the sanctity of life itself, and when does life begin to where the constitutional rights of that unborn child begin? Does it begin at conception? I mean, I would argue no, because the child cannot survive after conception. But when you talk about viability, yes. Yeah. So e- even if we see, let's not talk about America. Let's just talk about an imaginary con- country that, that's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Let's just call it country X. If if we if we you know if we say there is no God, then the people there, in a sense, t- to me, are just movements of nuclei and electrons according to the laws of physics and chemistry, and there is no morality, and everything there is no right and wrong because if you go down to the absolute base basis level, then th- there can't be any morality in the movement of, of atoms and electrons unless there's a law above all these things that's, that says what, what's right and wrong and that's since you get the whole Ten Commandments you know so, so I agree in a sense and what I mean by I agree is that humans whether or not you make a belief for God or gods or whatever it is humans will always find some way to create some higher authority, higher authority and purpose to govern their lives. And what I mean by that is take, take Druidism, believe in spirit animals and stuff like that. And in China and in Japan and Shintoism, things that things that don't necessarily have a Supreme deity, but still do give you a somewhat moral equivalency for laws and nature. So like I said, it's not necessarily that it has to be a God, but that's why I I agree with your premise of atheists and atheism is not natural because human nature by design will create something that will give us rules to govern by. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at someone like Richard Dawkins, if if there is a God, which every, everything that Richard Dawkins says so eloquently is to basically say that God doesn't exist, but his own thought processes are only they're meaningless. They're they're basically movements of atoms, electrons in his brain, chemical reactions according to laws of physics and gravity and the laws of physics. It, they, they don't mean anything. It's just all meaningless, arbitrary movements, and so there's there's, there's, there's actually no point to any discussion on 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 um, God or not God for for atheists if there is no God. It's just chemical reaction, you know. Yeah, well, that's and that that's why I always make the argument like, because a lot of atheists or people who say they're atheists, uh, they also tend to fall into the uh, socio ideology of uh, of anarchy. Of believing in anarchy is the is the proper uh, form for society. They you hear about with these 
neo-anarchists here in America, the, the Antifas, and I'm sure you got some in Europe too, who want to break down the government and just have everyone just do whatever the hell they want. Is that, is that really, is it not just not communism they want? Uh, so it depends. Some people want communism. Some people want anarchy. Um, the problem is people move the goalpost on anarchy. The anarchy would only be fun for about three or four days until the food run out in the shelves, right? Me and you, like me and you talked, I think last time about anarchy and that once you create some kind of rules as a society to abide by, you're no longer in a state of anarchy. You've now created yeah. a social contract. So but what, what are they expecting to do after three or four days when the food runs out in the shelves? Well, what are the anarchists going to do? What's their... That's the flaw in the logic because if, <laughs> if, because, because if in an anarchy society, they run out of food, well, then someone would have food because a farmer would be on his farm but making food and they'd be like, hey, can I have some of your food? And they'd be like, okay, but you need to work in my field to get a meal and they say okay well now you just made a social contract you're no longer in a state of anarchy because you've agreed to terms so that's why it falls flat on its face because because anarchy can only survive so long as no one makes a social contract which is void of human nature because humans naturally are social creatures so socially we're going to naturally we're going to veer towards social constructs and social society contracts by nature yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not afraid to to have a have a hard conversation. The funny thing is, you, you call this a you call this a hard conversation. This is a standard day conversation with me and Colin. <laughs> yeah, but it's not public. Though. I mean, it's, this is public stuff. So, well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. If someone's around, they overhear it. I mean, that's we don't care. I was surprised that your dad. I was actually shocked at how. Open your dad was. I mean, I thought he's like working with Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, and he's got like his reputation. Yes, he just to tore the party line, but have him on again. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because him and my stepdad and me were all like on that same wavelength, and my brothers are all kind of like that. So whenever we get together and we have like these deep philosophical or political topics and discussions and Q and As, like I'll we'll have friends around and whatnot. My buddy Roger, who's smart guy and whatnot but i'll turn to, i remember one time he was eating dinner with me and my stepdad and we were just talking about i don't even know what we were talking about some some i think we were i think i just i think i just read um uh thomas hobbs leviathan i think i finished it i think i was 15 when i finished that and uh we were talking about it and i turned to roger and asked him about what he thought about the differential between Rousseau's state of nature and, and Locke and Hobbes state of nature. And he just looked at me and he's like, dude, I lost track of the conversation 30 minutes. Yeah, that's, you've also got really, you're really well read. Oh yeah. Uh, between, and I, 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 I'll read pretty much any genre except for horror and romance. I probably read 50 to 75 books a year since I was nine. Mm. And, and, and how did you end up in the military like after that education because like, you think that someone like that would go and study English or literature or law or something uh, well like I said I was I knew I was going to be a Marine when I was about 7 years old because I'm an 8th generation Marine so yeah. so it's kind of a don't really have an option in my family <laughs> military service you were the IED team right 
Yeah, I was a combat engineer, so I uh, found IEDs in Afghanistan. And we were, it, yeah. more than that, IED, we did construction, we did route clearance, but our main MOS was if we were division side, which is the grunts and the infantry. Um, we were tip of the spear, first in patrol, counter IED, uh, we were breachers, first first in the door kind of situation. So, uh, yeah. Amazing. And no, we didn't. And no, we didn't get the fun little bomb suits that EOD has. There, they they got to come up after I'd find an IED or something like that, and they'd get to have the fun. I just wore my standard, standard uh, flak jack Kevlar, eighty pound rucksack, M4 metal detector, and about thirty pounds of C4. But like with your like crazy education and all these books, like is, was there ever like a point you thought to yourself like? I could make more money studying law or like some other kind of thing. Why, why am I here diffusing an IED? No, because uh, I grew up in it. It was a culture for me. Where but that's, that's like the most risky thing of all, of like all the possible jobs, apart from maybe uh, being like, I don't know, paratrooping on Osama Bin Laden's house or something. Uh, statistically, yes. We have the shortest life expectancy. I think we have like a statistical two to three tour life expectancy when I was in. Because we're the first to get shot, first to get blown up, first to usually through a door, so which is also the dangerous position. So I mean, it's yeah, I mean we're we're it's a dangerous job, but I mean, like I said, my my family's I'm an eighth generation marine. But Every why did single you, why did you pick that specific difficult job? Like I mean, why did uh, you pick something like a sniper or like a I don't know. Well, sniper, you have you can't just go right in the sniper. You have to be infantry or something like that, and then you lap move after a couple of years to go to sniper school. Right. Um, so after about two years, you can you can go to a special billet school and go do sniper school or do something like that. You can't just roll usually right into snipers. Now some people can, but I've most people go the traditional route of grunt and then something else. Um, I I, I just every single person that's ever served in the military in my family on my marine corps side of my family um they were all combat arms they were a grandpa grandpa was a wireman in uh korea vietnam era um dad was a dad was a sniper uh uncle was a forward observer um great grand great three great uncles were all infantry great grandpa was 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 infantry uh it's it's infantry, infantry, cavalry, cavalry, infantry. I mean, we, it's what we did. We, 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 we didn't, it never even crossed my mind to be a supply officer or something like that. Now, what I've changed knowing what I know now, I still would enlist, but I probably would have done intelligence or something like that. But at the time, that's just, that's what I knew. Cause, you, cause you're still suffering from the, post-traumatic stress of basically diffusing things that you don't know if it's going to blow up. You know, you must jump. You might, you might give a, like, get panic attacks when you jump and you think something's going to blow up in your face. No, no. I don't get panic attacks, like, from from that. Uh, it, that I mean, mine was mine's more of night terrors and stuff like that from just some of the stuff I saw. But I've never, I've, like, I've never, I, I've never had to deal with that side effect of it. Um, and the main reason is, is because I, 
I just, I was okay with dying if that's what it took. And once you become, once you come to, once you come to terms with that, it's hard for it to affect you. Mm-hmm. Um, now seeing, seeing and triaging dead kids, that's, that's another story. <laughs> um, but no, as far as the quote unquote being scared of my life, I, I was never scared. And that's just because my when job you, didn't yeah. allow it. When you when you say you don't you were okay with dying, is that because you have a religious belief that you're going to some paradise afterwards, or what? No, I didn't care about if I died because my job wasn't about me. So an engineer, I'm not looking at the horizon to try to shoot somebody. My job is to look directly in front of me to about 50, 50 meters in front of me and making sure that everybody in my patrol behind me goes home with their legs intact. The worst thing for an engineer is if I miss an IED and somebody dies and I don't. So I'd rather my life go and save somebody else. So that's just the mentality that you have to have as an engineer. So for me, it was a simple equation. I'm, I'm a very, I'm not the most emotional person in the world to begin with. Um, so for me, it was a simple mathematical equation of whose life has greater value. Well, to me, people on my patrol had a higher value of their life than mine. So it was an easy, it was an easy exchange. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of the greatest generation that is who they had, you know, going on the beaches of Normandy, they're ready to die for their country, you know, and I, and I res- totally respect you for that and salute you, mate. Well, I mean, every everybody who serves, especially in, in the combat arms fields, have has that because I mean, you're 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 going in knowing you're going to potentially die. I mean, that's kind of the the whole point of being combat arms, um, and everyone has to come to terms in in their own in their own way. Um, mine was just easier for me because I it, mine wasn't a me or him enemy combatant thing and having to worry about taking a life mine was preservation of life mm-hmm. that makes sense so that's the difference and did you you had now, friends, you lost friends that, that were right similar jobs i believe uh my first tour not so i, I only a couple that i've known personally um have died um, or been injured. Um, as far as other engineers, I know that there's a, a large quantity of engineers that are friends of friends who have died that I either knew of or had acquaintance of, or just happened to hear their name in passing from a conversation. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of hard. Like, yes, it's, it sucks. It's kind of one of the reasons why it, the whole Afghanistan debacle really ticked me off is because it's kind of like, what, what was it for? Like, yeah, if man, I had spent like three or four years looking at IEDs every day or thinking I'm going to get blown up every day. And then all of a sudden because of Biden's, um, decision you know it, it, i i honestly can't compute how that would feel but i don't even feel horrible yeah i mean it didn't feel great i mean it kind of just <laughs> like <feel> great. <laughs> yeah like kind of like well pardon my language but it was kind of like well fuck me then like 
it was just it was just like a giant f u to everybody who served yeah and i'm not talking about pulling out we definitely needed to pull out but it's the manner in which he did it it was just like it was the most lazy half-assed damn near if i had my way of thinking about it intentional method of just screwing the pooch and these are the sort of things that make me think there's a layer above the powers that be that are that are deliberately trying to provoke order out of chaos you know like it just seems so stupid that it has to be it's brilliantly stupid you know it's designed to create this horrible effect on people in the worst possible way yeah it's uh i don't know it's it's one of the one of the other reasons i'm trying to go into congress because i just i don't care like i don't care if i hurt somebody's feelings in congress i don't care if i make aoc cry i don't care if i make nancy pelosi go mentally insane and have to go submit herself to an insane asylum i don't care My goal is to end the corruption in Paul in Paul in DC and the politicians and bureaucrats. That's my end game. I've already I've already stared death in the face a number of times in my life. You ain't gonna scare me away from my goals. You're not in and I I isn't sound really, really stupid, but I wish someone would try to come 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 Hillary Clinton my me like trying to make me disappear like i'm one i ain't going without a fight two i'm staying strapped so you come and you come heavy and three if someone takes me out because of what i'm doing well guess what that just proves that what i was doing was right and now you just made me a martyr for a beggar movement so checkmate that's so many days of the language of the greatest generation that's been passed down to you mate that's so beautiful to hear but it, but it takes people like me, and, and there are people like me, the other veterans that are running for office, and we all think roughly the same in that we don't care about your feelings. I don't care if you have to put your depends on to go to Congress every day because you piss yourself because you have to sit there for 10 hours. Guess what? Boo-hoo. Go retire. Like, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to make fun of you. I'm going to make you hate me because guess what? When you're mad you're unbalanced and when you're unbalanced you make mistakes and when you make mistakes i can crucify you so you were reading the book the art of war by sun Tzu, sun Tzu or something yeah sun Tzu. yeah yeah it's good tactics uh... oh no that's just me just being an asshole that's just me being... <laughs> like i said i'm not even being like facetious like i'm just like if anybody in congress who wasn't the military personnel I would even argue even like some that were like army or Navy or air force. You ask any of them who ever served with any Marines, we are a different breed. Take AOC and put her in a Marine squad for a week. She will come out crying. Or actually she probably won't because she'll have drained herself of fluids from crying so often that she'd come who, out. just as Who's AOC? Uh, Ocasio-Cortez. There's a darling socialist of the left. Um, but anyway, but 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 like we just the way we talk to each other, the way we act, because we don't care about your feelings. We have to know you're tough enough to take a take a jab, because then I got to be. They can't work on you, and that's why they probably be afraid to debate you. I'd be afraid to debate you if I was a 
liberally minded person that tries to trip you up through hurting your feelings or something like that. If, it, if you're just straight yeah, talk, you can't I'm, do I'm, I'm not going to curse at people or whatnot because apparently I've been told that that people don't like it when politicians curse. I think that's stupid, but that's just me. But I mean, I may not curse at you, but I'll call you a morally and educationally and, and mentally bankrupt Cro-Magnon individual. Then have you try to break that down, that insult down. And while you're breaking that insult down, I'll poke holes in your argument three ways to Sunday. I think, I think that if you start cussing, it makes you look less in control of your words and, 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 and um, less able to use alternatives. Um, there's, there's a guy. It's not so much, not so much like, I, I don't mind. I'll, I'll stop cussing, but like sometimes you just need to drop an F bomb to make things very, very pointedly clear on where you stand. I mean, saying, Hey, Nancy Pelosi, you're a corrupt hag versus, Hey, Nancy Pelosi, you're a fucking corrupt hag. Like <laughs> just that one word, it makes it more pungent. I'm not, I'm not using it as a proper noun. I'm using it as an adjective or an adverb. There's a guy in America, in Australia right now, and he's got a party that's called One for Australia or something like that. And I was watching a video about it, and I criticized him publicly because I was just shocked. He basically says, he's a, he's a logical error he made. He says that if you're a traitor and you allow these you know, new policies to come forth, you have signed your own death warrant, right? Now, that for me just shows that guy is completely unstable. He didn't use f bond. He just says signed it on death warrant. He didn't qualify or anything like that. Not even not even my, the my, worst. My response, my response to be like, I'd walk up and be like, "Hey, where's my fucking death warrant? Oh, you got one for me? I mean, this this guy's a, a pro freedom, you know, type guy, conservative guy, I think. But he he just said something so stupid, like not even the worst Nazis didn't weren't shot without a fair trial. So he can't he can't say that. Who is he to say? Even though his people love him and LinkedIn and stuff like that, and even most people love him are on my side, you can't just say, you can't just say these people are signed on death one. Who is he to say that? Is he how about Joe how about how about Joe Biden with the whole mandating vaccines when he said this isn't about this isn't about your freedom. It's about protecting the vaccinated from the unvaxxed. Well, first and foremost, there's a couple of issues I have with that. One, I thought vaccines freaking worked. And if vaccines worked, why do you got to protect vaccinated from the unvaxxed? That's just an Absolutely. oxymoron. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm saying that. Secondly, secondly, you're the president of the United States, the commander in chief of the greatest army in the free world. And you're saying that my freedom doesn't matter. That right there. Is a giant red flag. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of warfare by words, right? I mean, that makes th- that that right there, that sentence alone, he should have been impeached on for violating his oath to the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's tra- traitorous words. But even that, very, I can't very, say. I can't say though the public is saying Biden signed his death warrant because that makes me worse than him. You know, that's what. Nah, I would never follow that leader, even what you know. How you, you just can't see something that's stupid and, and think for real and take you seriously. You know, like. So I, I would never say I would I would never say that these people are saying that. I would never I would never threaten somebody's life. You know what I mean? Like that's just that's just that's, <clears throat> the minute you get to that, you're just you lost the argument. You lost the moral high ground. This, this is the guy speaking to his own party, like in in Australia right now. This is he said he he sat down in front of this thing very carefully and said all these great things and at the end of the speech he says but you must be good 
you know, I just, for me, I just, I just flipped and <laughs> started saying LinkedIn, this is not good, this is not good, this is not good. Because, you know, yeah. So there's a big difference between, between using language that is flamboyant and provocative and just downright threatening people. So yeah, that, that stuff doesn't fly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hitler did that a lot. He, he used threatening words, and then his movement oh, must be good and peaceful. You, know, you can't, you can't juggle them both. You're either pro violence, and you can't, then you can't say we must be peaceful at the same time. You know? I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm pro violence because I, I believe we should always aim for diplomatic and peaceful resolutions to things. Yeah. But I'm also. I also grew up in the streets, so I'll throw hands if need to be thrown hands. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that, that's just me. I'm a fighter and a scrapper. But when it comes to politics, you can't really do that. <laughs> like, like you can't go punch somebody out on, on the parliamentary floor. Like, that's just that's a, that's a no-no. Well, and in, you in Ukraine, it, somebody, it happens more often than you think in the parliamentary floors. More often than Ukraine, though. It's, uh, it's quite common there. I, I did see a Ukrainian parliamentary brawl once, and I thought that was <laughs> And honestly, uh, honestly, I'm going to I'm I'm going to say that I think every adult from the age of 18 to 45, probably every 10 years or so, probably needs to get a good ass whooping just to keep them humble. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I spent quite a lot of time in Ukraine and I, w- I would I would rather not mess with the average Ukrainian man versus the average <laughs> I don't know, Englishman or something. I mean, well, Scotsman probably not, not the average Scotsman either. But uh, and Ukrainians particularly don't want to mess a lot. Yeah, those, those, those. Whenever you put, I, I put it like this: the uh, any of the countries that have uh, an an Ain or a Stan at the end of their names, you probably don't want to pick a fight with that people. Just yeah, in you general, should, you should just try shaking the average Ukrainian man's hands here, like. You just know that they're buff, you know, because the hands are usually bigger well, from walking in the garden and stuff. Their vast majority of the population, well, 85%, 95% of the population is some kind of manual labor. Yeah, yeah. I even noticed <laughs> myself even being here about long, you know, when I'm chopping wood quite a lot of the time. And I'm starting to get a little bit buffed <laughs> despite the being around a lot of these people, you know. Um, come back to Austria, it's not quite the same, though. Yeah, see, I'm I'm a little I'm a little I don't know how tall you are, but I'm six four and two hundred and thirty pounds. I'm I don't, really, pass, I don't get a lot of people coming up on me trying to trying to do anything. Yeah. All right, man. Well, um, uh, it's been a really good talk, mate. But um, yeah, and anything you want to you want to finish with before we finish our first first talk? Oh, um, I mean, I I always enjoy our conversations. Very uh. Very nice to have a not even not really a conversation just on like my political platform, but just a a good all around theological and political discussion. It's uh outside of Colin and my stepdad, I don't find very many people I can have that kind of conversation with <laughs> without them getting offended or butthurt. So it's always a pleasure uh, to to chat. Um, yeah, like because I learned, I learned, I learned a lot from you. You know, I learned a lot about um, American politics last time we talked. 
And it's, uh, it's good to talk about things like, especially the whole Christianity. I don't like to use the word verses, but I just think that Muslims and Christians and even just, or even just West and East should talk and have dialogue because we are, we are living in multicultural societies and we can't have ghettos and, and where people just have their cliques. We need to meet to engage with each other. We need to go to each other's um, houses and, and meetings to, just, just so that we have dialogue. And once we have dialogue, we'll have love for each other. Um, and we won't yeah, have this issue, people to, to take advantage of us, you know. The big issue that happened with Afghanistan <laughs> is it was it was American fully. It was our our belief that our way of government could work for anybody and can work and will work for anybody, which is it's just it's not true. You can't you can't you can't take a Western philosophy of governance and put it into a tribal nature it, it doesn't happen it can't happen so right. and that's part of the things that we got to address as americans is we got to realize yeah we're top dog in the world but guess what not everybody wants to hear what we have to say on every issue and yeah. agree with everything we have to agree with and guess what they don't have to yeah and the whole lgbt movement would if they came to this part of the Ukraine I'm in right now and did a demonstration, they would be beaten up severely, right? On this, just and nobody would pick prosecute none. Here they march for families, for, for for basically heterosexual families on the street. Pastors, you know, crowds will march for the family, and um, they'll, they'll never, they'll never. This they, this whole liberal stuff won't, won't fly here, Russia hey, or, I or guess, Ukraine. I, I, I don't even care about the LGBTQ XYZ BBCTTDDDD thing. I I don't care. Like if you do you, as long as you're not requiring me to use tax dollars to subsidize some crazy liberal program and you're not, what you're doing doesn't violate my rights as an American or strip me of my rights as a parent or as an individual you can do whatever the hell you want and I don't care. And that's, that's the libertarian approach and why I think we need to, as a nation and realistically as the world need to come more, more libertarian middle ground, because it's all about just minding your own damn business. Yeah. But I did, I did a lot of talk about libertarianism with one of my previous guests. Um, I think I think we talked about that in that I, he was I, I I challenged him on his perception of libertarianism because I think it was the libertarian and the anarchy I think yeah, was yeah. the one yeah and John Kosinski Polish he, guy he had a lot of misinformation of libertarianism that we addressed that last time I think so you you're a, you're a conservative libertarian is that what you said yes. Which differs from just normal conservatism? How exactly? So traditional conservatism is means you believe in the Constitution. That's pretty much it. Now you can be uh, it it, it de developed more into now it's a general conservatives being <laughs> kind of inflated with religious ideologues on top of constitutionalist and it's just it's how they depict anyone who's right of center um and that's why i make the distinction of conservative libertarians 
because we're we're if people actually sat down and actually talked about what a conservative libertarian is, I think almost every independent or at least 80 to 95 percent of independents who aren't Democrat, Republican, conservative or liberal fall under the libertarian conservative party platform ideologue. Um, and it's the only ideology that can really bridge the middle ground between the far right and far left. We've, that actually, you're not going to reach the far right and far left. It'll bridge the middle ground between the moderate conservatives and the moderate Democrats. That's, that's how you bring them into the fold is because a conservative libertarian believes in the staunch fiscal accountability, responsibility, rule of law, strong military stop messing with other people's nations and nation building that's 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 the conservative side libertarian side is i don't care about gay marriage or trans or or or, or, or uh, trans issues because it's not the government's business what you do inside the confines of your house i don't care about uh I don't care about X, Y, or Z because it's not in the constitution. So therefore it's a state's rights issue. I, I don't want to see an expansion of government. I want to see a limiting of government. I want to see more freedoms put back into the families and put back into everyday life. So that's, you got the, the conservative moderate, right. And the liberal moderate left kind of all wrapped into one ideologue with the cons- with the constitutional libertarianism. That's that's going to make it hard for the average person to basically pin you down on anything though. Like like it's being like water in a sense, right? Yeah, it's because it's essentially they're like, well, and and the reason conservative libertarians haven't really had a real shot is because they've made the faulty of every other party in which they get, they try to come with an argument from an emotional standpoint or when in reality, it's strictly simple. Give me an issue. Give me any issue. Um, Minimum wage. Minimum wage. Is there anywhere in the constitution in which it dictates what, should be the minimum wage or even talk about minimum wage answer is no no therefore it's not the government's job to dictate minimum wage that is a state's rights issue period yeah i guess so drafting maybe that's not in the constitution either right yes it is that's it yes Jeez. <laughs> okay yeah but i would make the argument that women want equal rights and equal treatment under the law should women be required to sign up for the select service draft as well as men when they turn 18 yes if if they want equal rights yeah so for that issue because it's constitutional because in the constitution to have the draft for men but there's no requirement for women to be in it that's something that would be, but it's a federally applied law. It can't be state issued. That's when you would put it on like a national ballot. When the next presidential cycle is, everyone votes. Do you think women should be on the 
on the uh, on the uh, draft select service draft. If they vote yes, it's add it to it. If they say no, women are off it. But that's something that the nation as the people should decide, not unelected bureaucrats or politicians who want to violate the Constitution. I need, I need to sit down and spend some time reading the Constitution because I keep talking about the Constitution, but I never read the whole thing with, with people like yourself on the podcast, you know. The, the thing is, like, it, it, from a conservative libertarian, it seems like that would be hard for people to latch on to versus Trump that says, I'm going to build the wall, you know? <coughs> In a constitutional libertarian, no one's above the law. It's it's literally it's the it is the most it's funny because it's the most in it's the most incorporating uh ideologue in terms of how vast of people can join it from a different from different ideologues, but it's also the simplest. It doesn't require a law degree to be able to make policy or laws if you're a constitutional libertarian. Mm-hmm. Is it in the constitution? Yes. Or there's this that predicates something towards the argument? Well, then let's debate it. No? Then what's, what's, what's the argument? I, I like I like, I like the sound of it, you know. Where, where can people get hold of you the one to follow what you're doing on, on the, the politics front? Uh, I got my website, max4, the number four, uh, congress.net so m-a-x the number four c-o-n-g-r-e-s-s dot net uh, and you can go there that's my website you can hit me up on facebook and everything twitter from from there as well um, if you're in the u.s if you got anybody on your show who's in the u.s who listens to this and they want to donate have at it unfortunately you and people outside of the u.s are not allowed to donate to my campaign so that's good that's good um, so, but yes, so, uh, definitely grassroots individual. Uh, so I'm, uh, unfortunately I'm challenging the status quo for my primary bid. So I'm not going to get the Republican party, uh, here in my areas, uh, support because I'm challenging a Republican incumbent. So I have to beat them first. So any little bit helps spread this podcast, spread my website, if someone's in America and they want to donate, five, 10, 15 bucks, I'm small, small donations is what I'm kind of running on right now. If someone can afford more and they like what I'm doing and they want to see me in Congress, have at it. Yeah, I'm looking at your website now, Max. You've done a really great job. And I'm a professional web developer. So, yeah, it was a, a Wix website that I just had one of my, one of Colin's uh, web guys help me out with. Yeah. Yeah, I've never but, made a Wix website myself. I do everything by like handled, but it's um it's really it's really it really works well on the mobile one like different devices and that, 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 that's 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 a step right there of, of you know having a good do you have a good website, you know? Yeah. I'm uh I'm uh currently right now I'm uh working on trying to get endorsements. I got one endorsement right now from a Major General Livingston Medal of Honor recipient. Um, so I'm working on getting some more and try to push people towards donating 
Um, I got my federal and state platforms and those are like just the top key issues. Um, obviously I have a very wide knowledge of a lot of different issues, but those are the hot button topics for me, specifically anti-corruption. I actually, I have a bill that I'm going to introduce if I get to get to office. It'll be the first bill I introduce. It's called the Anti-Corrupt Politicians Act, which will hold politicians and bureaucrats accountable and make bureaucrats easier to fire. You could always just print a card or a link to this podcast and say, this is my thoughts on you know terrorism and, and um, moderate Islam and, and, and gay rights and all this stuff. And say, listen to me to talk for two and a half hours on that, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, once you get it finished up, let me know. Uh, I, I got a Facebook, I got a Facebook and I got a, a YouTube now that I just, I haven't set up the YouTube with anything. So definitely be, uh, be good to have as my first YouTube uh, uh, video. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience before we finish our first part? No, I think I'm good to go. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your time, Max, and um, I'll be following closely how you're doing with your campaign. And um, say thanks to your dad again for his. Uh, he really, really enjoyed his time as talking to him. And um, then we, maybe we'll do a joint podcast or something like that in the future. We'll see what happens. And yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool. And maybe we'll say, you're gonna you're gonna have to have like timed things with me and Colin because if you just have that, me and him have free reign. Well, you'll never get a word in edgewise. Maybe we'll get a little dose of a liberal in there, the middle <laughs> in between you both. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I, 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 I've got a few liberals that I've had on the show, but I don't, I don't, they're kind of some of them have shunned me unfortunately. I don't know if that's fair putting liberal on with me and Colin because that's just I want to see it. Man. That's just. That's that's like that's like throwing a ticket into a den of wolves. Yeah, I can't even find one climate scientist to debate my friend Kevin Kirchman on, on, on climate science, right? None of, I can't get anyone to come on. Like what is the deal? You think like about the climate science? I mean, my argument is if the climate's really going as bad as it really is, why is Obama buying beachfront property? But that's me. Yeah, it's embarrassing, like, because, like, no, one, one, one guy recently said that... I'm not denying that, global, that the global temperature is changing and or any of that, and I'm pro-moving towards renewable and green energy. I'm just for doing it smartly and not destroying our economy in the process. Yeah, it may not even be... It's, it's destroying the economy. It might be, like, destroying freedom full stop. Climate lockdown. You can't. Yep. And you know what Mastercard's doing? No, what? They're doing this trial of this card where <laughs> it's sort of like the, rea- the reactors I'm getting are looking at priceless. Like they've got a card where you, if you spend over your CO2 limit, if you can't buy anything more, you, you, you've spent your whatever you're buying has a, has a carbon tax. Yeah, there's uh, a Congress in that $1.3 trillion deficit spending budget that they uh, introduced and voted on uh, last month. Uh, they uh, part of that was for all new cars to be manufactured with a chip that goes into the car and monitors how many miles you drive a year. And if you drive over an X amount, you're going to get taxed on every mile you drive over, which 
first off, that's most that's invasion of privacy at its finest, Big Brother watching, and that's just not going to fly. That's just Big Brother pointless sprawl of big government. You know, that's just like this is yeah. it's like a cancer. You know, it just keeps spreading, spreading, spreading. People probably come back to me a few years ago with these quotes like, he goes, called the government cancellor, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to regret it if, if but I know. I, I just want to say how it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just an ecos. So. Yep, no, I'm, it's, it's one of those things where you got to stand up for what you believe in. And I mean, nothing I've ever said, or am I going to say, am I ever going to apologize for? Like, if I, if I hurt your feelings, I'm okay. Don't have but hurt feelings and bad opinions. And even even opinions can change anyway. So like who I will be in five years' time, maybe my opinion, but will have changed, you know. And so people can't really be holding up for say the government is big government's like a cancer. I mean they it is can use all sorts of okay. <laughs> no, I mean we see it we see it time and time again. You see it throughout history. Government gets so big and gets so imploded and then it implodes and chaos erupts from it. Look at the fall of the Soviet Union. Look at the fall of Rome, fall of Alexander the Great Empire, fall of Ottoman Empire, fall of the Byzantine Empire. I mean, throughout history, it's a repeating cycle of government getting too big, messing everything up, whether through poor decisions in war or poor decisions in governance, and it breaks apart. Do you, mind, do you mind if I finish this off with a little prayer for you? Uh, sure. Dear Lord, I pray for Max. I thank you for the opportunity to meet this this brave warrior for uh, America. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless his campaign. Um, that you would, um, I wouldn't say endorse, but I'd just say that if you, if it's your will for, even though Max may not be a religious person, I don't know his exact feelings. I, I, I pray that you would, Use him for your purposes and you'd bless him and reveal to him your your ways and your your reality, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate that. Um my my point of view on religion is no one will ever know what my religious preference is because it's my business and nobody else's. So and that's why I'm I am ideally for the separation of church and state policy, because you'll never know one way or the other, which way I bend. I can live with that, mate, as long as you, you, you do what you, what, what you do, what. But here's the argument. Here's the argument that I just improved my point. While you'll never know what my religious preference is, I'm a constitutional libertarian. And what did I say? Constitutional libertarians follow the constitution. What is the constitution? The bill of rights is Inalienable rights granted to all men by God. Well, you know, if we ever go on a road trip and and somebody comes, if we ever go to a road trip and somebody says, "I'm not, I'm not going to like some, I'm not going to choose a Christian because someone says he's a Christian to sit in front of me in the car versus you who says that," you know, I believe that we should treat everybody equally as good. Um, yeah, I mean, and 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 my and my thing is. If, if, like I said, if, if if believing in woodland spirits gets you peace and makes you happy, who am I to discourage you from believing in that? If believing in God makes you happy, who am I to who am I to who is anybody to challenge you on your belief? You're not hurting anybody. 
it's your belief and it what's gets you through the day. So that should be protected. Period. Oh, there should be, we can't force anybody to believe in a truth that would be basically be um, convert or die. However, um, there is only one absolute truth. So you can't have a God that's compatible with another God that's with mutually exclusive properties. You know, you can't say like God is a million and God is one at the same time. I'm on people are going to say, oh, wait, the Trinity is three in one, but it's, it's, God is not a cow. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're going, you're going more metaphysical. And I'm just going on a simple, you do you and I'll do me. <laughs> and if, I'm, I'm going straight, straight grade school Barney style on it. Hey, you ain't hurting me. I ain't hurting you. Have a have at it. You do use like a typical expression, like people that want with military use. <laughs> yeah. It's great. All right, sir. I appreciate it. All right, Max. Yeah, let me know whenever you want to do this again. And definitely uh, me and Colin, uh, you definitely need to get a timer and have it on there and time us out on stuff because we've been talking <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, I wonder how many, how many ads I'm going to do with my coffee, but I'm, I'm so time-strapped right now. And um... Honestly, you could just let us have a topic and just walk away and leave the room for like four hours and <laughs> you just make it into three separate episodes probably. Maybe four. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so much fun talking to people yourselves. And, uh, okay, mate. Well, see you soon, Max, right? All right. See you soon, Agus. Yeah, and thank you, my listener, for joining us today on the Nika Show. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll get more episodes out to you shortly as time allows. Till next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Nika Show. I trust you enjoyed its content and we are transported on an adventure. If you are a world-class expert in your field or you know one, please get in touch. I'm also looking for long-term partners to sponsor the show. Please share with your friends if you like this episode and please leave a rating and leave a review if you haven't done already. See you again soon. Nikos out. Bye-bye.